Talk Podcast. It's episode 118. That's crazy. 118 episodes. That's awesome, but that's crazy. All at the same time. No. All over a couple of years. <laughs> not, not all at the same time, Jeremy. That's true. That would be a lot of talking. I mean, considering our average episode's like two hours right now. That would be a lot. 118 times two. That's 240-something, 236. Hours. Yeah. Do a marathon, people, and listen and to every episode. Honestly, the things like the Halloween Expo. Oh, yeah. Some of the Fanex stuff or Comic-Con stuff, whatever it was. Like, I cut a ton of shit. And well, so, that first year at the Halloween Expo, we recorded like... Fuck, we had like 12 plus hours, hours. of stuff. <laughs> and least. it was all Jen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, that lasted us for like for like two months. It wasn't all Jen. Jen was four hours of the same conversation over and over again. I got so much of her interview the first time. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when you get a guest drunk and, and the two hosts that are interviewing her are drunk and no one's there to curtail the two people back. I was there. You were doing a good job curtailing those two drunkards, though. What did I know? Um, we were getting deep. That was early. That was early in our existence, and it's much later now in our existence. And that other host, by the way, was not me. No, no. It was a host who is no longer with us. So well, you were there. She yes. was there. We're coming up on Halloween Expo number three here. Nope, you know? they're not doing it this year. Oh, that's very sad. Yes. That's very sad indeed, but it's still that time of year. Honestly, almost. after seeing last year... They're still around they're just gonna i think they're just gonna work yeah, on building regroup yeah a little bit I, that's too bad i think they didn't get the turnout they wanted last year and i think it's look i i think it's because people want it to be like a comic convention or like fan is yeah but wizarding days isn't that way um it, n no but i think wizarding days does a better job of getting people to interact they do a lot more activities i blame the guys selling switchblades <laughs> what <laughs> the chinese switchblade guy yeah the, I blame the wish him. com guy i blame him um he's the reason the whole thing fell apart i, I don't think so no pocket I think, watch guy. i think you're wrong <laughs> yeah it's the same guy he sold both but if anybody could have saved it it was the it was the fire pit guys with the welded fire pit that was awesome fucking talented for sure they could have their own show that's just them yeah i think they probably should have kept it the same size as the first year i think trying to expand it too much was was a, a problem and they did have goats this second year though but look i don't <laughs> and the like, horse i love those guys and i don't want to criticize them but can some constructive criticism what the fuck does that have to do with halloween the pettings yeah and... like it, it doesn't and that's that's kind of my point like they they were because goats and ghosts sound like the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so they had. I think the problem was they opened up too much space. Yeah, yeah no, I like, agree. They opened up too much space, and so then they had to fill it, and they filled it with things that yeah, it's kind of cool, but at the same time, like also, I I don't know. Switchblades and goats. Nah, the switchblades are fine. You're gonna find those everywhere, but. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Disappointing to hear that they're not going to be doing yeah, it this year. Yeah, sad, but... Because um, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, but um, whatever. So, uh, hike this weekend. Oh, yeah. We, so, we were going to go... So, I'm like, oh, let's go to a waterfall. I'm like, well, I don't want to drive like an hour plus down to Stewart Falls. I'm like, oh, let's go up to Donut Falls. I've never been up there. Okay. So, we get up into the entrance of Big Cottonwood and Brie goes... 
can we have dogs here? No. No, you can't. No, you can't. I forgot. No, Wasatch, we had our dog. Uh, Wasatch Mountains, no dogs. It's a watershed, and they don't want... For some reason, they don't want... I still don't understand why no dogs. I, I just don't get it. Because, yeah, we get our water from there, but it goes through a fucking treatment center. It's not like we drink it straight out of the well, stream. It's because the deer in that mountain range are potty trained, and they don't go in the river. Yeah, for sure. They never pee or poop in the river. <laughs> um, so I was like, shit. So we turned around, like, right at the mouth of the canyon and came back down. I'm like, I need to find another place to go. I'm like, hmm. Let's go to Killian Canyon. Uh, go hike Killian Canyon. Have you guys ever heard of that? No. Where's that one? So that is uh, an offshoot of Immigration Canyon. Mm. So we drove, fucking swerved around like 16,000 bicyclists going up Immigration Canyon. Mm-hmm. There's so many that go up Immigration Canyon. I, I see no part of that that's, that looks or sounds enjoyable. I'm going to ride my bike up well, Immigration if you, Canyon. If you've ever seen it, too, it's like crazy, like blind U-turns, like hairpin and turns steep. all the way up. Yeah, very steep. Like American Fork Canyon's that way too. It I'd, just blows my mind. I'd be the guy at the very end walking my bike. See, American Fork. I Canyon, would be doing it at the beginning. American Fork Canyon doesn't have the crazy switchbacks that. that uh, when you get higher, it does. Because I go. Some of those switchbacks. Yeah, are when you get higher, when you pass the split that goes to Tibble and up to the loop, it definitely gets switchbacky. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, That's a word. Switchbacky. Yep. Switchbacky Mountain. I don't I think it is a word. I think you just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> if anytime you have to say that's a word, I'm pretty sure it's not a word. Switchbacky. I'm gonna write that down. Switchbacky's going in the show notes. Switchback. That's what Jess shoots I, for. I did my. She says like two things a show, and they're always for show notes. <laughs> you, that's your choice if you choose to put them in. She's like Jabberwocky. That means I. Jabberwocky. Succeeding. <laughs> um, so anyway, so we get up there, um, we find this place, and we start driving up. And we get to a spot, and this there's still houses here, like up to the trailhead. There's tons of houses. We get to a spot, and well, it says... Well, not at the trail, exactly at the trail. And it says, no parking beyond this point. So Chris decides to drive it there. I'm like, well, I need to go see where the fuck we're going. And so I drive up there, and yeah, they have all these like fire lanes with hydrants where you can't park. And pineapples. Yeah, and some fucking dude probably that lives up there was having an event and like changed all the no parking signs to like pineapple parking or something they're like pineapple parking it's like pineapple princess anyway it was dumb but we get there i don't know we found the trailhead and we're like okay well let's go do it you know and it looks like the trailhead is not marked real well and it's just like kind of a kind of like a bunch of overgrown trees and you can see a little trail going through them and you're like hmm this is interesting so we go park it's like a half mile from the car just to get to the trailhead half mile from the trailhead is where you have to park on the side of the road there's one small parking area that could hold probably like six cars yeah i think so um so you walk a half mile up and then you go into the trail and it is like instantaneously no civilization (laughs) <laughs> like nothing like super quiet like even walking up there there's houses but they're like rich motherfuckers building houses in a place that houses probably shouldn't be and, and in fact in one of the yards like up any of those kids yeah they're pretty much <laughs> well and like w- we look up as we're walking up one of those yards and I'm like hey Bree there's a deer right there and she's like what and I'm like yeah can't you see it through the trees like and I'm having she's, I'm blind she's having a hard time pointing I see I see deer like people see dead people like <laughs> I see deer. So anyway, <laughs> I, I'm like, no, it's right there. And I'm, she's trying to get a, you know, her phone out and stuff to take a picture so she can see. And I'm like, can't. And I like move over so she can see right where I'm outlined in sight. Then another one stands up. 
what even bigger. And, and I'm like, like oh, five percent of that deer run away. Yeah, and then like fucking eight of them. And start running away. I'm like, did you see them all? She's like, yeah, but I'm going to get a picture. <laughs> She's like, why don't you fucking point them out and not take a picture? I'm like, so you could see them in real life. I was like, but I wanted a picture of them. But uh, anyway, so yeah, we saw deer in we someone's yard. We saw three people. Yeah. That was the other cool thing. So it was a beautiful hike. Well, three groups of people, I guess. We, we ended up not even going all the way. We went like an hour in and we were only like a mile and a half-ish up. Oh, wow. It was a little more than that because we, we ended up doing like three and a half miles total. But... You know, we're an hour in because it, and it was like leisurely. There was no one there. And I kept telling Chris, it's going to be faster on the way back. It's going to be faster. And he's like, like, we should turn around because it's going to take us forever. And we've already been up here for over an hour. It took took us us like half half the amount of time to get back down. Um, But it wasn't hard, but it was definitely overgrown. And you definitely had to kind of pick some of the different trails. You didn't have your machete. Yeah, because I just have one of those. <laughs> but it was quiet and beautiful, and we want to go back and go all the way up to wherever it ends. Yeah, they had. There's a couple of places where there's logs that have fallen across that you actually have to climb over. Well, now that if, if you make that your initial destination and don't spend time. Well, yeah, exactly. If we don't spend a half hour going out of the way up Big Cottonwood, yeah, uh, and instead go straight there, it'd probably be a little bit better. But I am going to go to Stewart Falls before the summer's over. Um, it's a pretty decent hike. Yeah, it is a good hike. It's like four and a half to five miles probably. But it's like an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20 minutes from here just to get to the trailhead. That's south or north? It's, south. Dem- it's by Sundance. Yeah, oh, oh, okay. It's up by Sundance. Yeah, I Down, did it last uh, summer. I don't know. It's a cool hike. I've done it before um, years ago. Probably it's definitely summer. not an easy hike, but it's not hard. I would say yeah, it's like middle of the road. I, I would say it's moderate. And I use this All Trails app and it lists it as easy. But if you read the comments, everyone's like, it's not, it's easy. not easy. No. And there's parts of it where you're doing a little bit of climbing and there's a lot that's not covered in trees so if it's hot outside it's mm. extra hot yeah, so you gotta go real early plus it's pretty heavily trafficked so yeah. you wanna go pretty early anyway that was our hike um, man I just fucking hiking in Utah is amazing and I'm really glad that Bree and I set out to do a hike a week that's uh, why probably 90% of our guests say hiking of some sort or, or being outdoors of some sort yeah yeah. So what about you guys? What did you do this weekend? So we've been talking about the carpet on our stairs and how much we hate it for a long time. But then we've been going back and forth with it's that MDF particle board is what the stairs are made out of. So how do we deal with it? And so we keep saying, I don't know. So Saturday, I finally just tore out the carpet. I just ripped all the carpet off the stairs and figured, you know what? I'll tear out the carpet and then I'll deal with it. Can you pull up the that's top? What I keep, can you that's pull- what I keep threatening to do to Chris. And Chris is like, please don't leave the well, stairs Can you like pull that. off the top of those and run new treads? Or You yeah. can. However, the way our railing is, our railing is actually on the stairs. Uh, and just like everything else in our house, it was built wrong. <laughs> I know that comes as a surprise to everybody. The proper way to do it is you drill down and put a dowel in the stair itself and then the spindle sits on the dowel, yeah. and then you put the railing on top of it, and sandwiches it together. Not ours. Ours are glued and stapled to the to the to the stairs. So if I take them out, it's going to ruin them, and I'll have to do the whole, redo the whole railing. So what I'm doing is I'm going to create a false cap to go over each of the stairs. It's oh, okay. thinner, and it'll just it'll just go over each step. So that's how I'm going to do it. However, to answer your question, yes. Yeah, so my you know my little stairs, three smaller stairs going mm-hmm. down. Those I tore out the entire thing, and then just got the pre-made treads and put those in. So you never answered my question on the text, though. Are you going to come do mine next? <laughs> when I've got mine figured out. Except <laughs> for st- that I don't want wood stairs because I think our dogs will scratch them because we're going to get another big dog. Uh, our floors, we got 
puppies and yeah but your dogs are little like a leah sized dog she, yeah, she wants another 80 pound dog yeah maybe i don't know running up and down the, the stairs so your dogs can't really run up and down the stairs either <laughs> it's funny to try <laughs> their legs are too they're like yeah it's like a journey just to go up one step <laughs> yeah little so when when an 80 pound dog decides to run up the stairs it would be like gouges in the stairs so i actually found um a laminate material that looks just like the tile in my front room i just don't know if they make it so you can put it on stairs and lam- well you, the laminate though you're do- well it's that thick hard laminate it's not like yeah, there's a sample of it upstairs yeah, you can show you. you'll just have to see you might that or you might want to do the same tile you've done in your front room i just don't know what i would do on the edges of the the stairs yeah, the facing edges. Like, I don't want to just have a raw tile edge. And they don't make edging for the faux wood tile. So I'd have to find an edge. Can it, yeah, any, that's any, true. Anything else besides tearing up your house and not fixing it? <laughs> <laughs> I did check the bees and we're ready to harvest. Yeah, you did say that. So so this this, yeah. this weekend, barring the weather, so I'll keep you posted. But it should be decent weather. But yeah, it's time. We got... Four bars for sure, maybe five. I just that's it's always that trick of leaving enough for them for to them. winter. Yeah. So kind of have to see as we go, but yeah, that's the plan is to harvest honey this weekend. There were a lot of bees up there too in Gillian Canyon. Like one of the houses right by the mouth of the canyon had like had a bunch of the, the other kind of hive. I don't know what the fuck it's called, but he had like one set of them of the boxes, like four or five boxes high on one side of his house, and then two sets like four high on the other wow. side. But up in that area, you've got lots to be. Oh, there were so many wildflowers up there. It was yeah. awesome. It was beautiful. What about you, Jess? Did you just make cakes? Did you go do anything else? I didn't make any cakes this week. Halt. Cake free weekend. Did you quit? No. Have you entered the fair? Uh, no, I have not entered the fair. It's too late. To? Damn it. Uh, the 28th, which was... That's today. Today. So it's not too late. Is registration. That's not uh, they're doing late. it completely different this year. So they're actually having um, like a cake... It's a cake society, like it's international something something. Um, Fuck. It's like and so instead of just like a dollar to enter, it's thirty dollars, and um, you get judged by fancy people and fancy people. So fear, although FearCon also has a cake competition that I got tagged in, but I have because you've done those quad horror cakes like six million fucking I times have ever. five cakes in September all four of them within two weeks so all the same no no one's a wedding with 150 cupcakes does that have knives and blood on no oh. definitely not so I went to Bear Lake and I went to Oktoberfest that's what I did this weekend that's a lot how do you how do you do both in two days I did. Did you quit Friday? Did you quit work and go? No. No, Friday I was at home. Actually, Friday was the first day I'd been at home, like, by myself in a long time. So I just red boxed some movies and made popcorn and... Nice. Yeah. Nice. We, uh... uh, I've been watching this... I'm going to tell you this and then maybe we'll do something else. I've been watching this uh, Dark Tourism thing on Netflix. Have you seen the show? Is it a TV show it's, or it's a it's a Netflix series? It's oh. like a docu series. So it's this dude. Is this like journalist from New Zealand who decides to go do dark tourism? So basically, he goes to places like the first episode. He goes to um, Colombia, and he does the like a tour of Pablo Escobar's 
town. He meets Pablo Escobar's, you know, former hitman. And wow. Yeah, like, and apparently this is a real thing. Like all over the all over the world, there's these places. So, like in Japan, they do bus tours of the Fukushima site, the nuclear reactor area, and like there's some crazy shit that they're doing. So, the episode I just watched, uh, he was uh, in Milwaukee uh, touring some Jeffrey Dahmer stuff. Whoa! Yeah, the house is not there anymore. Yeah, no, he wasn't touring the house, but he, like, talked to the attorney that defended him, and I don't know. Uh, it was an apartment, by the way, not a house, but... Uh, there was that one here in Salt Lake, the... It wasn't Dahmer. Who's the one that was Bundy. Bundy. Bundy, the yeah, Bundy house. Ted Bundy, yeah. So, but anyway, he's he's going around the world. It's like a... It's a really fucking interesting show yeah. to see, like, people doing some of the crazy like following the steps of these crazy fucking things just super dark sides of humanity uh it, it's really interesting i think you would, would would enjoy it it sounds intriguing i think you'd like it a lot i keep telling Bree that i think she would like it it's my it's my treadmill show right now <laughs> i read so uh i made pizza this weekend from the farmer's market. oh yeah i saw the pictures it looked amazing I made my own dough, made farmer's market fresh sauce, with the exception of the tomatoes, which I use canned tomatoes for the sauce. Most most people tend to do that, actually. Yeah. Um, really good. Turned out great. And then I had so much dough left over, I made calzones last night after boxing. What part was the farmer's market part? Everything but the dough and the canned tomatoes. So garlic, onions, well, the zucchini came out of my garden uh, that I put in the sauce, but uh, basil, parsley, uh, some of the spices obviously came out of my kitchen. But Did you do any kind of meat on it? Uh-huh. Sausage, Sausage. from the farmer's market. Uh, fresh mozzarella from the farmer's market. Um, it was really good. It turned out great. So there's calzones that, that I made that turned out pretty good. Was that the last week or is this the last week for farmer's market? No. No, it was still until like October. Late October. October, yeah. It goes mid-October, and then they have about a month off, and then they start winter's market. And there is so much fucking corn and fruit at the market right now. <laughs> and it's like I was telling Bree, like, onions. Like, I bought onions a couple of weeks ago, and I still had two of them left. They still hadn't had... They still didn't have the crusty skin that you get from the supermarket on them. It's already crusty when you get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's. I love buying onions there because they're so fresh and you don't waste hardly any of it and there's nothing dried and rotten on it. We so. pulled the first couple onions out of our garden and they've been really good. And yeah, they, they store for weeks. Oh yeah, they fucking keep forever. So I've got a few more upstairs. I got like four sitting up there that I bought this last weekend. So... Uh, anyway, that was uh, that was my farmer's market meal. I like making stuff from the farmer's market. And we are officially kid-free. We weren't right. quite kid-free yet last time. Absolutely kid-free since Wednesday. <laughs> is that full, awesome or is you still on the fence about that, Bree? Um, I'll speak for myself. It was awesome for me. <laughs> it's it's. Fine, but Sean's been having some some issues. Apparently, she has asthma, and so they're going to do an allergy test down in St. George to find out what she's allergic to because there must be something that's down there more than here. Well, a whole different environment down there. Yeah, that's yeah. that's throwing her. So she's been struggling breathing, and so I've been kind of worried about her with that. And then Cassie was having trouble getting into ecology, and just found out today that she got into it, and so I've been just stressing about dumb things like, you know, little things like that. And so it, 
it's harder when they're further away because I can't and they're old and I can't actually help them. Yeah. Poor Sean. Like she goes off to college and her, her first week's okay. I mean, her car's fucking just out of commission for the yeah, whole week. Yeah, it's gone. Second week, she starts having breathing problems and finds out she has asthma. She's 18 years old, never been diagnosed with asthma, never really had breathing problems. All of a sudden, she goes down there. She's having massive breathing problems. She goes to an Instacare. They're like, you need to get checked for asthma. She went to an asthma specialist today. They did some tests, and it turns out she's got moderate asthma. I mean, it's got to be something down there. Yeah. Something yeah. In that and that's, that was the other thing is they're like, it shouldn't have just turned on all of a sudden. So they're going to do an allergy test to see what what's down there that's, that's causing it and then see if they can treat it. But yeah, so it, I mean, it's fine. I'm, I'm not missing them around the house or anything yet for any reason. Um, boxing was kind of sad last night because Cassie's been going with us. <laughs> and so everybody was like, where's your daughter? Um, but... I, I don't miss them around the house, but it's been hard trying to take care of them from afar. I don't miss that the house has stayed as clean as we leave it when we go to bed. It's it's kind of still dirty now because I haven't cleaned it since they left, but for not having cleaned it since they left, like I haven't touched it since they yeah, but, left. But dirty to Bree's standards and dirty to other people's standards is... It's dirty, but it's, I mean, like... <laughs> we straightened up after Cassie left, but, when, but once all of her stuff was gone, like, that's the house. I haven't done anything. And that's how clean the house is. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. The most that I've done is like folded blankets that we used while we watched movies. So your grocery bills probably going to go down. Yeah, probably. Things I like that. So. But we helped, we helped, we gave the girls we bought um, groceries. Yeah. So for Sean, we went and just bought groceries and Cassie, I gave her like a hundred bucks and I'm like, just here's some grocery money. We oh. always give them some at the beginning of the year to start out with. So I did want to show you guys too. Oh, look at that custom belt that I had made him a big old three inch belt from a kilt. I think three inches might be a bit too much. Might be a little too big. Like fucking that thing is huge. Does it fit? No, I think it'll it? be good on your kilt. Um, it, well, it's good, but it's hard for him to sit. Yeah, it's weird. So uh, I'm used to like a half. one inch belt <laughs> and you got three inches on your waist now when you sit down. That's pretty rough. You just got to be a she woman because like women, women wear belts like that all the time. You do not wear a belt this hefty. I wear, we wear like cloth three inch belts, not leather. That's a pretty thick leather. It is. It's really thick. soft though. Feel like it's a nice rolled cowhide. Now that, that was the guys at the farmers market. It right? was a lady. Yeah, she's out of South Jordan, I think. And, yeah, but uh, I I think she might be Native American, or have Native American heritage. She's a white lady out of South Jordan. Things sell better that way if they're made by Native Americans. No, I, I like legit think that, that she has some heritage or something. Well, so do you. We could ask her the next time you see her. <laughs> I could. Okay, hey, are you Indian? Let's talk about some events. Oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm like, come on, Sorry. Jess, be ready. Be I'm ready. not ready. <laughs> um, you're, somehow you're never ready for events, even though like it's the natural thing. You, you're always like, oh crap, I got to get my notebook back up in front of my face. <laughs> she brings her papers that she has her notes on and she's writing on them. Yes, that's true. So uh, just a few upcoming, even though it's about a week and a half, Fan X, formerly known as Comic-Con, 6 Is to the 8th. formerly known as? Yeah, yeah so, that's how they have it listed. Uh, yeah, February, Feb, 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 I was going to say February. I'm, I'm sure that eventually it will fall off, but... Yeah, I, so it's 
September sixth, seventh, and eighth. And it, I it think actually, they can only use the formerly. They they only for well, a while. So, yeah, they can say formerly yeah. known as Salt Lake Comic Con for I think a year, maybe two years, and then legally they can't say that anymore. That, that was be, part of the ruling. That's because of all the legal garbage. That's part of the court ruling because they were found in violation of a trademark. And so, they are not allowing them to appeal. At what about everybody else who calls way. their stuff? Comic-Con. Apparently, that's that everybody okay. will. It's just like calling it the Delta Center. Like, everybody's always going to call it the Delta Center. Well, I mean, no, 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 I mean, no. I mean like, he means like Denver Con. Like Denver, oh, the they're, they're slowly changing. Yeah. They, they, yeah. the, here's the thing. Winning that decision against Salt Lake Comic-Con means that San Diego has the ability to now go after every other convention. It's like New York. That's one that they call themselves New York So Comic-Con. they will go after the big ones close by first, and then they will go after the bigger ones across the country. Um, Salt Lake was a big threat. That's why they went after us when they hadn't gone after, you know, Denver Comic Con and, and other things. Salt Lake posed a big threat because we were so successful out of the gate and maintained that success. Um, and as much as I hated having two cons, I think the fact that they have another brand in Fanex to fall on that no it's one else good. has, that's really good yeah. for them from a branding perspective. And and there's other fan fan expos like Dallas is Dallas Fan Expo. Yeah, so yeah, and it's so cool. uh, like it still has a good name behind it. Well, and it, th- didn't they originally call it Fan Experience? Mm-mm. I think Ours? that's how. Yeah, I think yeah, that's how they was originally branded it for us. Yep. So, yep. Um, it's it's a it's a way they can so trademark fan. Have we heard? Are they going to back it down to one a year? Or are they still going to do two a year? Or that's uh, I'm sure we'll find out after this one. <laughs> I hope yeah. they just do one. Just one. So some of it will depend on success, obviously. So one of the things when they first started doing it, when they first did the fan X, it wasn't just a money grab. It was. If you remember, the first one was closer to the time of uh, Sundance. And part of why they did that is they could get Mm -hmm. stars, big stars. So one of the reasons San Diego Comic-Con can get the stars it gets is it's in San Diego. And it's easy for them to get a limo ride over, do a panel, and leave. And they have really busy lives. They are on set. They are all over the country, all over the world a lot of times. And when they are home, they might just be off set and they want to be with their families. And Yeah, so... so, um, being able to get a lot of those folks up here because they were already going to be up here made a lot of sense. Um, And so that's why they first did it. And then it was successful. So they kind of continued to do it. But I don't know if we can continue to support two shows like that a year because it's it's taxing from a resource standpoint from an average consumer. Just think about how much you spend. So Well, even them, I mean, they have to book the venue and... Yeah, and they have to the get they have to get the vendors to come and, and, and volunteers they, and, and and vendors have for vendors to come back they have to feel like it's profitable for them to come back uh, and do two shows a year is is difficult for some of them. I think that they'll they'll max out the vendors soon and the vendors will have to start picking. I don't know what booths are, but I know from even the span of the first three, it went. It doubled. The, oh yeah, no, it still is. They're like, not. Yeah. They're not cheap. Yeah. They're not cheap anymore because the, so because you'll it see is a lot sharing, event. sharing space. Well, it's a hundred plus thousand people in a pretty captive audience. So, uh, and there are people that just go walk the vendor floor and don't experience the other parts of of FanX or or, or mm. the comic convention. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about it because it isn't a week. Do you want to do it now or after the other events? No, let's do it now. We're already talking about it. No, no breaking it up. Um, so I don't where I don't know where I was. <laughs> uh, talking about 
talking about size, I guess. Um, You're, so we were talking about people who only experience the vendor floor. Yeah, so it, it is the 6th, 7th, and 8th, um, and we were talking about cost in general. Right. So it's relatively inexpensive to just go. So For multi-pass, it's like... I'll, 35 bucks yeah. or something like that. And, and I do recommend if you're going to go, just get the multi-pass. Don't, don't do just a single day. Plan to go like Friday evening and Saturday. Um, Saturday is the massive If day. it's your first, though, go on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, really. And if you're taking kids for the first time, go on Thursday. Yeah, go, thir- go Thursday evening. It's going to be the least crowded uh, to walk it opens, to I think it opens at 1 on Thursday. I think well, 2. Well, VIP for, is. 2 for the regular older. folks. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a little bit shorter because it's a work day, because it's a school day. It's not as busy on a Thursday. It's not as busy even on a Friday. But you're still getting most of the... There's a However, few that are only going to be there yeah, on don't Friday. Don't get us wrong. It's still busy, even on Thursday. It's a convention. Yeah. It's the largest convention uh, here um, now that uh, outdoor retailers <laughs> doesn't exist in the city of Utah. Thanks, Herbert. We love you. you fucking idiots. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, so it... It's busy, but it's not as busy. It doesn't feel as cramped. Um, also, I think if they just do one a year, they'll have more. They don't. They don't cut off as much, and they've gotten better in terms of placement of things like photo ops and and autographs, so that the floor doesn't feel as fucking ridiculously packed. And they've been able to move like KidCon into its own space, um, so it's a lot better. So yeah, if you're going to go for the first time. Walking the vendor floor Thursday is probably your best bet to, to see everything without feeling kind of trapped. Well, and one thing is I suggest walk it from one end to the other, decide what purchases you want to make, then go make those purchases on your way out the door. Yeah, that's what I that's what I actually do on Thursday is I will make a list of artists. I spend a lot of time in Artist Alley and I go, okay, I like this guy's stuff. Uh, I like this comic book and I will make a list on my phone. And that way, when I have time over the next couple of days, I'll stop by their booths. I'll have Yeah. Also, when you're doing that, talk to them. Like, don't just stare at their stuff and walk by. Like, talk to them. They're the creators. Generally, it's very rare that the creator isn't there. Except for the also if handmade Indian jewelry. (laughs) Well, that's where we met Michael Brent Collins is is through Comic Con, and he -hmm. does. And a lot of these artists are a lot. A lot of the artists, artists, artists the authors, and the creators do panels. Yeah, and Uh, so you know if you. If you see them and you like them in a panel, go visit them at their booth and see what their art is like. Yeah, and, and by art, I don't just mean a drawing, like their books or their whatever it is that they do artistically. Go see it. And and that is a that is something that's, that's really important to say, I think. So if you go to a panel, um, I recommend going to panels. That's why I go. But uh, if you go to a panel and you really like one of the panelists, a lot of times the panelists, they are authors, they are artists, they are creators uh, in the world, and they are at a booth. And they'll usually tell you if you go up and ask them after the panel or during the panel, hey, I'll be at this booth. That's the time. And don't be offended if you get rushed off after a panel because they have to get the room ready for the next for the next one. Yeah, they have like five minutes to turn yeah. over a room of 250 people. So just get just be aware, you're going to get kicked out of the room. But because they tell you where they're going to be, then you can go have a conversation with them. And a lot of times you can sit and talk to them for 15, 20 minutes. They'll have a long conversation with you, tell you a, a lot more in depth about some of the stuff they're working on. Um, it, it's It becomes a really engaging experience at that point. Um, so 
that's uh, a great suggestion to to write this stuff down and, and come back and get it on your way out. And there's a lot of cool local stuff. It's not all just switchblades and handmade Indian jewelry. Is, there's is a usually lo- there. No, and I, I definitely recommend going through Artist Alley and taking your time to look at the stuff. Also, sometimes, like, talk with the artist because sometimes they don't have extras and they will sell out. So sometimes waiting till the end isn't always a good idea, but make sure to talk to the artist about that. Also, if you really like the artist style, talk to them because a lot of times they're sitting there doing stuff and they'll sell you something custom they do right there at the show. And sometimes it takes six weeks to get. Yeah, sometimes it takes longer to get. Our, our uh, If you guys have seen all of our images on our business cards and on our website, those came from an artist from Comic-Con. Yep. Um, one one thing I will... <laughs> Thanks, Bri. I'm uh, sorry. I just noticed that everything I touch on the table is sounding again. It's because yeah. we forgot to turn our guest mic off. Sorry. Uh, sorry. That's okay. So um, one, thing, one thing also about artists to be aware of please don't get an artist's rendition of something like deadpool and then go take it to the creator of deadpool and have him (laughs) sign it it does happen they're not paying royalties to create that likeness please don't have him sign another artist's work that's really in poor tastes (laughs) so just be aware of who's coming you can go out on their website one of the things that i've seen jess i've seen you respond to on some of the facebook stuff when they announce a guest there's a lot of uh vitriol i guess from from some commenters because you know the internet um but they're like well when are they gonna bring back comic book creators you're watching what i post Uh, i do see it uh because you are come in defense like and let's let's be clear fanix doesn't pay us we're not going to fanix as as media people no we go as fans um and we like the event um but they do bring in artists the the reality is the comic book creators don't draw as many people in from outside of the comic book world as the big names like Ben Affleck, as who's not coming, uh, who's not coming, um, as yep. as David Tennant, who I think is one of the biggest gets. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's big, and he will get a wide, wide audience that doesn't give a shit about comic books. Yep. Um, and it is a fa- it, that's part of why they named it fan experience. It's not just comic books; it's all kinds of geekdom. But they're there. I actually think that it's probably a better name overall because it is fan experience. You can like Harry Potter, and you can like you know video games, and you can like board games, and well, you can like movies, and you can like. And well, and it's an opportunity to find new fandoms as and well. Really, yeah. comic books is only a small portion. It only ever has been a small portion of it. Well, and if you if you think about it, like I love that they bring in some big artists. Like getting the guy that created Deadpool was huge. Having Stanley is huge. But the truth is you're probably getting those fans anyway. Right. And for them to continue to throw a successful event that gets bigger, that has bigger names, that has more people that you want to see, that has space for more comic book artists. Um, James and I had a very interesting discussion a few weeks ago. Uh, like, why they should bring in musicians. They kind of did. But, like, not Jess Harnell. <laughs> no, I'm not, I don't. Jess Harnell, I don't qualify. So, like, I mean, but do you want to, like, well, well, like, oh, like, there's got to be, a, like, a, I don't know if any of them do cons, actually, but, uh, like, a specific 
era of musicians, you know, over a huge time period that might do cons. That'd be awesome. They do kind of, so they're doing that with their parties. So they have DJ Rufio doing one of their parties. Rufio. Yeah. So this is a, this is a child actor that was Rufio and Hook and has had a shit career afterwards and is now a DJ like Pauly D. Um, Really? <laughs> I don't know if he's any good, um, but he's he's DJing uh, one of the parties. Um, and those parties, that's another thing that a lot of people don't know about or think about, but they have really fun. Like the Friday night party, the big bash party that they have with all the cosplayers and stuff, that looks freaking amazing. And they do it, uh, I don't know, last year they did it in the Salt Palace, I think, in an, in an area. Um, but They've done it at, like, the Sky Club. and Yeah, I mean, these are these are massively fun parties to go to if, if that's your thing. Um, so, I don't know, what, what is your favorite thing to do at, at the, the convention, Jess? Uh, I like, I like to meet the celebrities. I like to get VH, VHS tape signed. That's my favorite thing. I don't know if I have any of this time. I might get Dottie from Pee Wee's Big Adventure because she was in Better Off Dead and I have that VHS. There you go. Um, James and I have spent almost a whole entire day, days walking around the artist alley and the vendor floor because we go up every up one aisle and then down the other side and then up one aisle and down the other side. Like we don't, and some things we miss. So we go back again. (laughs) And, um, I do like panels. The last time there wasn't really a lot of panels, but this time I have tons, but they're all at night. And so (laughs) like, I'm going to be there late. I'm always there there from when it starts to when it ends. Um, I, I do recommend if you're a first time con goer, don't, don't try to do everything. You'll get exhausted. Take a break. So the app's been released. Um, hopefully it doesn't crash like it has for every other event. Um, you can go in and, and save the panels. You can set alerts for yourself 30 minutes, an hour. You can set people as your favorite panelists. Um, has all the autograph times in it. Um you can search by panelists. You can search by celebrity. I'm hoping they still announce a couple more people, but... They probably will. They usually announce one or two right before the show. I'm, um, I'm still debating my, my photo op, but I think I'm leaning heavily towards Tim Curry. So... Good it was almost Jeff Goldblum, but then I got... Then I've been doing more thinking about it and... Really, Tim Curry's the way. Yeah. I can take my little can of spam from Spam a lot when I saw him on Broadway, and (laughs) we can hang out with the can of spam. So um, the app's a great suggestion. Um, What Bree and I do with the app is we go through and mark everything we like, then we compare, and then we throw a bunch of shit that we thought we would like, but one or the other doesn't want to go to maybe, or we talk each other out of it because we think it's going to be dumb, uh, and we clean them off, and then we go back through and go, okay, we need more of a break than this. And so That's what James and I do like the week before. He actually just said to me the other day, he's like, we need to get together so we can make a plan. But if it's your first time going, uh, I would plan a day to be on the vendor floor. Mm-hmm. And just At that least. whole day, all you're going to do is yep. walk the vendor floor because yep. there's that much of it to see. And there's a lot of cool stuff to see and people to talk to. I would plan another day to go to a panel or two, not necessarily a ton, but pick a couple panels that you like over the course of the con and go to those. And I don't mean the big famous stars in the ballroom. 
That is the third thing I would recommend for a first-time condor. Pick one or two of those. The trick, And some of them go in 250A, which is a bigger room, but it's not the ballroom. The, so The trick with the ballroom is go to the panel before the one you want to see. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Out. It's so true. It, it, no, it's it's true. true. Go to the panel before the one you want to see. Um, you're, you might be sitting further in the back. The longer into the con, so the closer to the end of Saturday it is, the more full that ballroom will get up until the cosplay competition. Everybody wants to sit down. <laughs> so um, just go camp out. That's how I saw the Sharknado. <laughs> panel <laughs> so camp out uh, camp out before and then see the panel you want to go see so I recommend a couple of normal panels because I think those are the most fun so whatever one. is before Twisted Tunes get in there because you're not getting in any other way yep. yeah Twisted Tunes is and this year they have tons of voice actors like, like probably probably more than, than than they've had yeah and so and like big big names so it's gonna be it'll be fun yeah. twisted tunes we've talked about it tons on the show basically they get all these voice actors together they read a script i don't know what it is yet i haven't looked they read a script from something that's just come out so Do they done, announce it ahead of time usually yes. usually a week or so out they'll announce it so it might even be on the app now I'll so look. they've done they did star wars the last jedi they did uh, beauty and the beast harry potter they did a harry potter reading um and they do chunk scenes of the movie uh as different characters so you'll have you know wacko from animaniacs and it doesn't say on the app so anyway they'll figure it out uh it's a great panel um I think it's the best. You have Lorraine Newman for crying out loud yeah. on this one. E.G. Daly, who is Dottie from Pew's Big Adventure, she does um, uh, Tommy's voice yeah. from Rugrats, I know, and that's what I'm and uh, the one with the dark hair from <laughs> from ugh, I can't remember from Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, um, Carrie Payton does uh, the voice of Cyborg from the the oh, Teen yeah, Titans. Yeah. John DiMaggio does the robot in. Um, why can't I think of what that cartoon is right now? So anyway, a lot of good voice actors. It's a it's a fun panel, um, but that would be my recommendation. Oh, from Futurama. Futurama, yeah. Spend spend a day uh, walking the floor. Pick two panels that aren't in the ballroom, and then go to a ballroom panel. That'll kind of give you the best overarching of this is all the different things that you can do at the con. Now, if you have kids go to KidCon. And when I say kids, I mean anything under like 12, like really under 10 probably. They're going to flip at the stuff they get to do at KidCon. So I just, uh, on the app, they have, it's really cool this time, they have it broken down by fandom because that's kind of the like theme-ish for this year is just fandoms. Um, they also have a, a little button for the, the harassment hotline, the Attorney General harassment hotline. The only thing I wish they would add to the app are bios. Yes. I want to know what the makes those bios. people Why are you on to the be panel? on that panel. That is my only... I need to Great. talk to somebody. Yeah. Any other suggestions, tips, favorites that you guys want to give people? Eat the go, go eat the Cambodian food. <gasps> go support get the temple. Oh, yeah, go, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah go get licorice. And the, the candy because isn't um, the chocolate maker. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Isn't she going to be there? I'm Truffle sure cottage. she'll be there. Truffle Truffle cottage will be so there for sure. The local, the local foods and right. snacks. And, and we've talked to a lot of these folks. We talked to Truffle Cottage on the show. We've talked to, uh, who's the Cambodian dance guy? Chinda, Chinda. which we'll 
talk a little. We need yeah. to tell Trina to take buzzed over there so that I can have chai latte. <laughs> <laughs> well, Saturday outside. Saturday the farmers market. Yep. We can go there like so, the last, so last yeah. year. So there's another suggestion. So Chris and I found this out last year. Um, we went to Farmer's Market before we went into Comic-Con, and we went and we got... Great breakfast and Yeah, great breakfast from Com- or from the Farmer's Market, and then just walked back over to... Now it's a walk. Like, it's not... Now you can take those scooters. It's a couple blocks. It's not that big of a... <laughs> no, it'll help it's you, not like a It'll huge help you walk. burn off the, the pastry that you bought. Yeah, <laughs> and then you just eat your pastry and sip your drink on your way back and walk into the con, and now you've had a lovely breakfast that you've patronized our local farmers, and you get to patronize our local artists so i think that's enough about fanex <laughs> do you want a couple more yes yeah okay yeah, um so you mentioned soldier hollow sheepdog event does go from thursday to I, monday I mentioned that off the air for those of you that oh i thought we were recording we were talking no. about it sorry so for those so, of you that, that don't know what we talk about when the mics are on <laughs> annually sheep show yes the sheep show um it's, annually it's not a uh, sheep <laughs> show it's a sheepdog sheep herding uh, so we have we have awesome yeah, every year up in up soldier in, hollow. Uh, in uh, summit county soldier hollow except past park city there's about this time of year there's a big sheepdog competition so think like it's babe awesome. no one uses a pig that was fucking fake that was fiction that'll um, do a pig but but we do have sheepdog shows I've always wanted I've to, go. Seen to go I've never need to go the food's good to too go. the food, as long as you don't go at the end of the day when it's all sold out but I, I've always <laughs> wanted to go it's just always managed to fall on a time where I couldn't go and again this year it's this weekend right Mm-hmm. And I can't Thursday go. to Monday. But that's really cool. Oh, that we have a we have a, a sheepdog competition here. Yeah. Um, it's huge. There are a lot of sheep ranches here. We might we might be able to go on Monday if we can swing it, but we just have so much. Well, between here and and being up where it's at, you're right by the Wyoming border, and Wyoming has a lot of sheep. A lot of sheep. So I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. And you can all stop the sheep are get, at Bear get, Lake right get now, and so are the cows. Okay, um, a couple other things I wanted to mention: uh, the class this week is already sold out with Oleo. But they have three classes coming up, October, November, and December. It's $25 for a class. Go to their website. Look under education. That's where the classes are. They're doing pumpkin for October, eggnog for November, and then a Christmas one in Jess, December. we need to do the November one since the guys did one because I love eggnog. Okay. No, that's, yeah, that's November. November 4th. That pumpkin one was amazing. I say it was because it's gone. Um, also... You'll like this one, maybe. Maybe neither of you will like this, actually. Um, Water Pocket has done a limited release of peach whiskey. Gross. Um, they <laughs> I'd try it. They <laughs> only did five cases. They basically went to the fruitway and they uh, marinated the whiskey. Is, uh-huh. it, is it a hint or is it more of a liqueur? I haven't tried I it. I can't. It's, it's a sweet <laughs> but we could ask. Whiskey. More of a liqueur. Hopefully it's better than the other what the I apple stuff no we had peach before oh yeah porter's peach oh yeah porter's peach I, you, there's still some of that up there you guys want it i can't okay they also <laughs> released another one and i'm probably going to say this completely wrong so i apologize to anyone who speaks french um eau de melisse and it is a it's a one of their liqueurs so like the other ones that you really love and it's going back to the 
um, Carmelite Covenants of France. And so it's, it's a lemon, it's like an old recipe from nice. that, nice. uh, lemon balm, hyssop, which I don't know what that is. I uh, really like what those guys are doing. Sage, rosemary, lemon peel, and spices. And mm. that is also. So that lemon. sounds like a really good lemon liqueur. It that's does. A, that's sound all a water pocket. Yes. I, I like some of the stuff they're doing, except the peach wigs. <laughs> <laughs> that's only because you don't like peach. Yeah, it's True. fucking gross. Don't do that shit. Stop using peaches. Let I'm them all die. I'm going to save the other events for next week. Okay. That works. So, uh, on the Olio subject, uh, sign up for the classes now, guys. They sell out so fast. Like, super fast. It is so much fun. It's, it's a fun. great experience. So, sign up for the classes now. They do them monthly. Have to go. If, if you go to sign up Actually, for October and it's, and it's out, just keep paying attention to their Facebook. They always post them, and usually right after they post and them. And their website, gone. under yeah. education. Well, and if you, have the, if you have the right group, like a business group or a church group or something like that that wants to do it, I'm sure if They'll you talk schedule. to them, yeah. they, they would schedule. Yeah, if you have a group, and it would be a fun, it would be a fun night, like for a, a bachelorette party or something. Girls if night you're, out, guys night out. And it's, it, you, can do, you can do the way we would do things, which is with booze and debauchery, uh, <laughs> or you could do the night. But nice, then you're clean afterwards. Cause yeah, it's so. then you could do that <laughs> soap does not prevent pregnancy or sexually transmitted diseases i just want everyone to be aware of that wow. it's not a good lube either i wouldn't uh, use it for that yeah, what are you talking <laughs> about i'm just saying Stop i'm just saying it. um <laughs> but yeah Ouch, if you reach actually. out to them uh, jen and derek are very very responsive on facebook uh, if you reach <laughs> they, out they're responsible they're they might, very responsive they might not be responsive to they me after hearing what i just said about so they're teachers now or they go into are. the shop go right into their little they're store professors yeah uh so anyway oh uh, yeah they are going to be offering beard care classes i'll get more information yeah they're on doing fall they're semester. doing uh, fall semester beard care classes yes at you. the community continuing the education, continuing education. Yeah. i still have the, the yoga studio right they're mm-hmm. still doing that yeah they still have the yoga studio across the hall they have a thing every tuesday night we just don't get to go because we're here they went on sunday too well and they rent the space out to uh instructors that want to do their own classes so with us today is dr uh doug henstrom do you go by doug or douglas doug's fine yeah doug dr doug he goes by doctor doctor. i didn't even know your first name i had to like look up your first name i was like it's just dr henstrom (laughs) that's right dr h is what i get a lot of do you go by dr doug or dr dr h at the dr h is a lot of what goes on in the office um i've had dr doug over the years a lot yeah henstrom's kind of a mouthful it is. It's a very unique name. Yeah. Yep. If you meet any other Henstroms, they're very close relatives. Huh. Really? Yeah. Interesting. It's a very Interesting. unique name. What, where's the name from? Sweden. Swedish. It's a Swedish name, but it was changed when my ancestors got here into Henstrom. It was a slight derivation. And then... Probably had some extra they all and stuff in it. They all stayed here. Mm-hmm. A lot of, it's interesting how many people, like family-wise, how many names morphed when people came to America when their when their ancestors came to this 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 continent cuz I, I don't know from persecution or what but it happens a lot like maybe when they got here the people taking the records just couldn't spell it yeah it, it probably was a lot, lot of that. that was a big part of it just took their best yeah, anglicize that, it that's good yeah, they well, anglicize it as much as they could. Could you imagine Icelandic names coming over? Yakshananam. <laughs> I don't This 26 Just stick a vowels, couple J's in there. Like, no and vowels. Good. There's no vowels. So, Mr. Consonants. Jones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
uh, Doug, I'm going to call you Doug because um, we're not in your closet. Did you ask him if you could call him Doug? I, I just said he preferred Doug. Well, I know, but you didn't ask him. You just... <laughs> Just I'm I'm good with it. I answer to that. So uh, it's his first podcast and maybe his last. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll start off that way. So you are you are a, a physician. Um, He's a surgeon. The mm-hmm. surgeon. I shouldn't say physician. I should say surgeon. Um, what what different specialties are you board certified with? Yeah, two board certifications. My first board certification is in otolaryngology. That's a mouthful, otherwise I'm, known as ear, nose, and throat. Yeah. I've had to deal with that quite a bit lately. Have you? Yeah. Not fun, right? I have a vocal cord dysfunction, and ah. so I deal with my otolaryngologist a lot. Yes, yes. Very good with those those dysfunctions. Uh, that was my first board certification, and then my second one is in facial plastic and reconstructive surgery. Which is really pretty common for ENTs to, to move into that. Yeah, so if you've got facial plastics, so I just do head and neck plastic mm-hmm. and reconstructive surgery. And so it is a pathway that is most commonly gone into by people who have ENT backgrounds. General plastic surgeons generally will come from a general surgery mm-hmm. background and yeah. then go into general plastic surgery and do body stuff and so forth. So it's a natural fit for us who are interested in just the head and neck anatomy. Well, and you have to do, especially when you're talking facial plastics and you do so much, especially around the, the sinus area mm-hmm. and, and the ears, it makes sense, yeah, really. It to, does. To well, in, in our training, in our ENT training, about a fourth to a fifth of all of our training is in facial plastic surgery. I mean, we're doing that even as ENT doctors. Well, you have to, right? Yeah, exactly. We're doing a lot of defects and a lot of trauma and things like that. So that kind of falls under that category besides the ear surgery and the vocal cord surgery and head and neck cancers and inner ear surgery and stuff like that. So and I this is so our our listeners don't know this but uh I'm going to tell you anyway now. Um so <laughs> when we got your profile it was just your profile from your site that Jess provided us and so I sent her a message I'm like why are we having this guy come on the show? <laughs> like, I mean, if it's are we just having a doctor come on to talk to a doctor, which is which is okay, but it's a little weird. And she said, "No, he's freaking amazing! Like all the stuff that he's done and some of the special stuff that he does in the state of Utah that no one else does." Can you talk a little bit about some of that stuff that you pioneer here in the state? Yeah, I think the one one of the things that kind of is at the top of the list for that is. <clears throat> the the work I do with patients who have facial paralysis. So this is a patient group that is pretty much by and large undertreated, kind of neglected. Um, it's even when I was in medical school, which unfortunately is getting longer and longer away from me now. <laughs> the 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 common teaching was that if somebody had facial paralysis, that the doctors and the people that were teaching me would say, well, you know, what's done is done and what they get back is what they get back. And there's not a lot that we can do for them. And that's been taught for decades. Is that because you're dealing with nerves? and Yeah. And, and quite honestly, at that time, there wasn't a lot that people were doing to help that. And there is some limitations even now of what we can do. But there's, there's not a lot of people in the country that have an interest in helping patients with facial paralysis, and there's even fewer that have been trained to do that, at least to the point of where we're at in the 21st century. And most people, even practitioners, part of a lot of what I do is just educating other practitioners that, no, listen, there are stuff that we can do to help some of these patients. Not everybody, but a lot of them, and make it a lot easier, a lot better for them. So facial paralysis is something that I always had an interest in, even when I was in my ENT residency program. 
And then I took it to the next level by going, my fellowship was at Harvard, is at Mass Ioneer Infirmary in Boston. And it's the only two-year facial plastics fellowship in the country. And the reason why is because it's heavy in research. It is the, no question about it, the epic center of facial nerve training in America. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, they, I mean, we would, we would see dozens of patients every week in this, and that's a rarity. And we would do, and so we would, they, they would really pioneer a lot of what's doing. It's led by an amazing physician, what, an amazing mentor, Tessa Hadlock and Mac Cheney. And uh, so when I got there, I got that training. We did research in the lab, spent two years there. And then after that, you know, I, I went from there back to where I had actually done medical school at the University of Iowa. And I was hired on back as staff, as staff as the director of facial plastic surgery in the ENT department at Iowa. And one of my goals was to start a facial nerve center, which I did start that started that built it up six years. I was there and then I ended up leaving coming out here. But there's not a lot of many, not very many people in the country that have uh, training like I do. Uh, there's certainly nobody really in the Intermountain West. And so uh, one of my goals in coming here and joining the practice that I'm at was, you know, we could really make this a, a center for people with this issue in the Intermountain West. And where's your, where's your practice based? Yeah, so the practice is called Utah Facial Plastics. It's myself and Dr. Scott Thompson. We have two offices. We have one up in Layton, and we have one in Draper. Oh, wow, that's a, quite a distance to travel for a well, satellite. It, it is. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not bad. It works out for the two of us because he lives up north, and I live in Draper. Oh, okay. We swap one day a week, but it's very convenient for our patients because we get a lot of patients from down south. They're happy to come to Draper. They don't want to go much further. Right. Our patients from up north, they don't want to come down further than that. They don't have to get into Salt Lake if they can avoid it. So having one office on each end makes it really easy for our patients. That is kind of nice. You do you are able to capture basically the entire Wasatch Front that way. Yeah, I guess. yeah, and then then some. And we have we have patients from obviously from Nevada, Idaho, Wyoming. Well, if you're the only one in the Intermountain West that's doing this kind of work, yeah. So and it's you know it's really in its infancy here. I'm trying to build it up. Um, a lot of work to do. Was there a, a specific case that gave you that interest, or uh, something personal that you wanted to? make that difference not particularly i mean i remember cases seeing stuff like this during residency and thinking what more could be done but then when i got into my fellowship and seeing it over and over and over again and then seeing the change in those people's lives you know coming in and saying they've talked with half a dozen physicians and they've all said no or nothing can be done and they then they come see us and it's like no listen let's explore some things here let's do some things and you know they just they they don't want well it depends on what they want but um making those changes has all just been kind of a cumulative experience so when we talk about facial paralysis, um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, for me at least, is people who had a stroke. A stroke, yeah. Yeah. Because that's probably the most common cause of paralysis, right? It's it's one of the more common. It's actually not the most common so cause. Is it, is it like Meniere's or Bell's palsy? Bell's palsy, yeah. Um, stroke victims are tough because typically when you have a stroke, you have so many other issues that come with that stroke that the facial paralysis kind of takes a backseat to a lot of things. So we actually don't do a lot of patients that have had strokes because well, they've got probably other not issues. great candidates for surgery anyway. Right, right. That's exactly right. Um, there are a lot of other causes of facial paralysis. 
um, just some rough stats, about one in 5,000 people every year is going to get facial paralysis. Wow. So that's a lot. Hmm. Now, are, are any, is any of that caused from slapping a kid on the back who's making an ugly face? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen that one yet. I've seen a lot of causes. Haven't seen that one yet. Because I was always taught as a kid. <laughs> if you got slapped on the back when making an ugly face, that would happen. That would happen. Your face would get stuck. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've heard that too. Um, That'd be like groundbreaking if that happened. That would be. That would be a one of a kind. <laughs> but you never, you never want to be one of a kind in the medical arena. No. That's not what you want to do. You never want to be first. Yeah. You don't want to be that one in a million case. That's exactly right. You want to be like, oh, this is easy. I see this all so the time. So apparently right. being like one in right. 5,000 is probably a little bit better. Yeah, that's that's better. And the, quite honestly, the vast majority of those patients are going to get better on their own. So rough numbers, Bell's palsy is going to affect so many people. 85% of patients who have Bell's palsy are going to heal on their own. They're going to get back to normal function. But 15% aren't, and they're going to have poor recovery. And poor recovery can mean one of two things for the broad category of people with facial paralysis. One category is they get some recovery, but their nerves actually over-recover. You get some crossed wiring in there, and all of a sudden their faces get tight. And it's kind of like a charley horse in some of the muscles, and they get fatigued, and it hurts. And you need to do things with a specialized facial therapist that can help you stretch those muscles, massage those muscles, learn how to reuse some of those muscles, okay? And then we also combine that with Botox. In the right muscles, we can relax them so that they're not so hyperactive. So some of these patients will develop what's called synkinesis. So they'll smile, and like their, their eye will get narrow. They're not trying to do that. But it just gets that way. Or when they're chewing food or speaking, mm-hmm. it goes narrow. So we put some Botox around the eye and help relax it so it stays open. Um, then there's the other category of patients who just don't recover anything. They stay what we say is flaccid. You know, that's that's what you think of when the you see the stroke face, patients. Yeah. You know, it's just drooping. They can't smile. They can't close their eye. They can't do those things. And there's a lot that we can do for them to try to help them. If they're the right patient to help them, first of all, close their eye. You know, we'll put a, a little platinum or gold eyelid weight in their upper eyelid to give them some weight so gravity can help them pull that eye closed. We can lift up their lower lid if that's needed. And then the 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 big thing is trying to do some smile reanimation surgery with nerve grafts or muscle flaps from the leg to the face to try to reanimate a smile, which has the added benefit. It's not just smile you're helping them with. You're going to help them with their speech intelligibility. You're going to help them with their oral compensate, you know, their, their oral abilities mm-hmm. and their incompetence that they have. So they eat, they can keep food and drink in their mouth a lot easier. You know, a lot of these patients will end up shutting themselves in. They don't want to go out. They don't want to be looked at. They don't want to eat or drink in front of people. So um, being able to do that and then seeing them turn their life around and getting out of that recluse state is things I've seen. It's been pretty miraculous. That's really cool. So yeah. how, how much of the stuff that you do, especially in the facial paralysis arena, is is elective versus what's considered medical necessity from an insurance standpoint? Yeah, most all of that stuff we can get through with the insurance company. That's fantastic. Yeah, because this is these are stuff. This these are things that are uh, medically necessary, and the fact that it's helping them in those regards. This is not just an aesthetic. Thing. Uh, this is a an ability to improve your communication. The other aspect of the communication that is often overlooked is the nonverbal communication that we have from our face. 
So when you come in and you read a face, there's so many cues that we clue in on just when we're looking at people. Well, if a person has half their face not functioning, you and I will misread that face nine times out of ten. And we will think, oh, that person's really angry, or what's wrong with them? And, and we'll steer clear of them. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of nonverbal communication that happens that can be improved if you can move some muscles and get some function back. So, yeah, this is usually insurance-based stuff. That's that's really awesome. I was really curious about that. And I, I, I totally see where you're coming from in terms of the communication, because I've even said Grey's Anatomy is one of my favorite shows on television, and the reason it's one of my favorite shows is the amount of acting that's done non-verbally and without a lot of body. So you get a lot of facial acting with half their face covered up, and so it's just the upper part of their face that, that communicates all that stuff. And we just don't, we don't think about how much that actually imparts in terms of uh, communication. Yeah, absolutely true. Yeah. Although I'm not a huge fan of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> All those medical shows, I like. I look at them. My wife is a big fan of Grey's Anatomy, and whatever she had on, I just yeah. I couldn't watch it. I'm like, this is so fake. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> so I, so I, I work in the medical industry, uh, have for a long time, and what I've what I've gathered is surgeons can't stand the shows, but most of their staff love them. Yeah, so that's like true. Your, your medical assistants and your your front desk staff absolutely love them. Yep, that's very true. I have a hard time with the credentialing because I used to credential physicians for St. Mark's Hospital, and I'll be like, they can't just let that doctor walk in and do that. What the heck? Yeah, they, just, they just show up from halfway across the country like, come join us in surgery. That never happens. Not even in an emergency. That doesn't happen. No, you can't operate. You have like a whole building falling down and there's still credentialing happening. Yeah, That's that. exactly right. So, no. Well, and the, e, like the ER physician seeing them from the beginning to the end, going with them to the operating room, yeah, doing the surgery, happens. reading the radiographs, no. you know, doing it all. They don't do any of that. No, they don't. And you never see radi- radiologists. They're always like in the back room with their great big giant yeah. screens looking at x-rays and crap. Yeah. yeah. We don't look at them. We just or, talk to them. Or they're not, or they're not even there. Like no, half the time nowadays they're overseas somewhere That's doing right. it. So yeah. telemedicine. Telemedicine. <laughs> That's amazing though. I think telemedicine is a great uh, move forward in medicine for uh, really rural communities or you know things like that. It, it's helped society, I think, tremendously. There's a huge... Uh, opportunity there if used right. Here's an example. When I was back at the University of Iowa, they're one of the, they're one of the leading stroke centers in the country, and they pioneered something where they have uh, robots. Not not I don't want to say robots because that gives the wrong idea. They have cameras and they have the ability to communicate with rural hospitals in the because these are instances where. Time is of the essence. Oh, yeah. What you're going to get for therapy is going to either save a life TPA or not. Or the not TPA, or right? And so they have a certain clock they're on. Well, they can they can have the physicians from there call in. It's basically voice and and you know a chat, and they can see the patient and they can examine them. Right? They can help that physician make the diagnosis, decide on the treatment, do it right then and there. Yep. They don't have to ship them, wait for the helicopter, or wait for the ambulance, and then you're losing time. So, yep. absolutely. Yep. That's crazy. So there's other stuff, obviously, that you do besides uh, facial paralysis. I think we should back up, don't you? Well, you want to um, hear uh, about Jeremy's it? Jeremy's ready to go yes. hear about Jeremy so We talked about my birth. We had to know about Iowa. <laughs> no, no, not quite that far back. But I like to talk about 
so where are you from? Where were you born? Oh, where are you from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a native of this land. I was born and raised down born in Provo. In Provo, I Provo, Utah. That's right. And I am a, a native of this land and uh, went to Tim Few High School. Tim Few, very nice. Class of 92. All right. <laughs> Represent. Too. All right. Um, 93 here. 94. All right. We're in the same era, right? <laughs> My wife and I are both from Tim Few. Actually, she was she was a couple years ahead of me. She was my high school sweetheart, and uh, was but we finished school there and went on to BYU. You want me to go through my whole? Yeah. yeah let me tell you about my. my I want to know like why, why, and how you got to where you gotcha, are. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, well, that's a good place to start. So, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife Nicole Hershey, is the daughter of a. Uh, very prominent plastic surgeon down in Utah Valley. His name is Blaine Hershey. And he started this practice on purpose or it just happened that way. It just happened that way. (laughs) Just happened that way. And, um, he and his wife, my, my father and mother-in-law are now deceased. But at that time it started getting me interested in what he did and exposed to things that he did. And so I, that piqued my interest. I, I was pretty sold on medicine in general at a pretty young age, didn't know what I wanted to do, but that really piqued my interest. And I'd go with him to the ER visits and see him do things and see him sew people up on the kitchen table all the time. Wow. Yeah. So that was fun. And then I got into college, went to BYU, uh, played football down there, uh, had a great experience all every summer. I would like intern in his office basically and work in his office and help with surgeries and do things and get exposure. So that was all really good for me. And then Medical school. So when I graduated, went to medical school. So the whole football thing didn't pan out. No, no. And you know what? I, I knew it wouldn't. It was a great experience. Fun I wouldn't you were change there, it but... for the world. Uh, I actually knew I wanted to be a doctor. And so that was that. Was that. So we should start calling you Dr. Football. You could, th- that would be a new one. <laughs> Dr. Touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there we go. We're creating new good names. I like it. He was a kicker, okay? <laughs> now, what did no you play? That's I really actually pretty that on your funny Instagram. that you said that. Because we would often try to see how often we could get uh, mixed up for the kickers. <laughs> In the weight room and stuff. So I was a cornerback on defense. I was a DB. I actually was recruited originally as a receiver. And then after I returned, then they found out you couldn't catch and push. Yeah, no, that's absolutely not the truth. I was actually one of the best hands on the team, but that is a common thing among DBs. But that wasn't my case. That's usually why they I have a DB. I have some of the best hands, so that's why I went into medicine, right? Um, Good reason. But when Good I came reason. when I came back from my mission, uh, you know, there was a need at DB, and I knew I wasn't going to get much time at receiver, so I made the switch. The DB coach talked to me, and I made the switch, and and I and I'm glad I did. I got a. I, Got time, had a great experience, uh, loved every minute of it. Well, not every minute of it, but I look back on it fondly. Let's <laughs> say um, that was the time I also did. Like after I graduated, before I started medical school, I went on my first medical mission trip with a group that's actually so it was started by my father-in-law. It's called the Hershey Smiles Foundation, hmm. and I'll give them a plug because they're still around. And it was up in the air after my in-laws were killed in a plane accident. In oh. a private plane accident down in Utah Valley. When was that? That would see. It was my third year of medical school, so that was like 2002. The week oh. of the week of Thanksgiving, 2002. I'm, wow. I, I could be wrong, but I think I vaguely remember. It was on the news. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was a it big was, thing. It was a big deal. Plane unfortunately, usually I remember yeah. that. Well, and then it being right by Thanksgiving and everything. Yeah, else. and he was a prominent person in the community down yeah. there and stuff. So that's too bad. Unfortunately, made all the headlines for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's. 
in between then is when I went on my first medical mission trip with the Hershey Smiles Foundation. When they died, we didn't know if it was going to continue to go on, but fortunately there have been some great physicians that have stepped up and have kept it going to today. It's still around. They still do great mission trips. But that really kind of solidified, and I, I got to see more plastic surgery and things like that, so that was good. But So where do they go? Like, Guatemala, Guatemala, Mexico. Very cool. Yep. And what, what do they specialize in? They're doing mostly cleft lip and cleft, cleft palate. That's Yeah. Which most of those groups do. Um, then I was off to Iowa for medical school. So got into one of the better public medical schools in the country. And I really didn't appreciate that at the time when I got in. Uh, but was it by chance or it's just what came up? It, it was, you know, it was one of the ones I applied to and it was one of the ones I got in. I had a choice between there and a couple others and uh, made that choice because of my growing family. It was a great place. Felt really comfortable there. Iowa's a cool place. Iowa's a cool place. Do you have Iowa ties? Jeremy's from, from Iowa. Des Moines. Oh, you are. <laughs> yep. There we go. Iowa's a good place. Wait, Cyclone or Hawkeye? Hawkeye. Oh, there you go. Let's go Hawks. All right. There's just a fist bump across the table. That's right. That a, I'll fist bump a first, Hawkeye actually, fan. I think. Really? No, no previous like fist bumps? I like Hawkeye from the comics. Is that... From MASH? From MASH. I like Hawkeye oh. from MASH. He's talking about, like, the Marvel comics. Oh, from um, Avengers? Yeah. Yeah. So it was... I'm, I'm with you, no babe. No one likes Hawkeye. I gotcha. I like Hawkeye. I do. Hawkeye's cool. He's married, so he's awesome. Especially Matt, right. Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. That's a great comic series. <laughs> you lost me there. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. So anyway, uh, Iowa for medical school, which turned out to be a, a great thing so how long for were you there? Four years. Four years. Four years there. Um, how did your family like it? How did they adjust to the humidity? Oh, yeah. That took some That took some getting used to. The, the, the hot, humid summers and the cold, long uh, taking winters. Taking your battery out of your car in the winter. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have to do that, but there was plenty of times we did. We should have because we had to jump it. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> we plugged them in in Wyoming. I, there, so I remember one year when they were there and we were a kid. When I was a kid, my dad's Mustang, the battery cracked. It was that cold? It was that cold. Yep. That's crazy. Cracked the battery. Well, so after Midwest, that, right? after that, my dad would bring the batteries in at night and just set it just inside the door. <laughs> he would take it out every day? Every night. Chris oh, just, my gosh. Chris just plugs his, plugged his batteries in in good old Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah, we have engine heaters in there. Yeah, those engine e- it's heater so, pads. It was so, yeah. It's so windy there. Though. Well, and then and then if you'd get that, that rain in Iowa it, at night in the wintertime, you go out the next day, your car has got a sheet of ice over it. Yep. Yeah. So you're taking hot water over the key. <laughs> trying to get in. Warm water. Warm this sounds water. like such an unpleasant place to be. <laughs> they have fireflies that makes up for it. That's right. This is, per- this is great firefly season right yeah, now. That's We've true. got insects that makes up for all our crummy. <laughs> fireflies weather. are cool. Until you've seen them, they're cool. That's the only cool insect there, though. Um, yeah, so Iowa there for four years, and uh, that kind of got me interested. That, that started me on the head and neck surgery ENT route. Uh, fortunately, you know, Iowa has one of the perennially one of the top five programs in ear, nose and throat in the country. And it's really a remarkable hospital and has a lot of rich history in some different fields. I won't get into all of that, but that started me on the ENT side of things. And then off to residency, I matched in residency at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Awesome. So for me, it was only about a three and a half hour drive north. 
That's, yeah, that, that, that was the move. How did your kids like school in Iowa? Because they're, they're are the number one, or at least were one of the number one ranked schools in the entire United States, their school system. They're fantastic. So when we moved here... They're great. When we moved here, just by default, I was almost three years ahead of everybody in school, just because I came from the Iowa education. They slowed you right back down, didn't they? They, <laughs> they tried. Yeah, no, that's great. It's great schooling. They do it right. We had, we've had great schooling. Um, along the way for the kids in different situations. So that's been, that's been really nice. Um, yeah, five years in Rochester, Minnesota. So I went from cold to colder. Way colder, but lots yeah. of lakes. Uh, yeah, except for in Rochester. <laughs> that is true. There's not any in the south. My so, stepmom's from Spring Valley. Okay, so. not far. No. The land of 10,000 lakes. There is a lake in every county in Minnesota except for Olmstead County, which yep. is where Rochester is. <laughs> That's and the true. So there's no lakes for us there. That's to like enjoy. being in Utah and not having like red rocks or a mountain. Yeah, right. Like how can that happen, right? <laughs> it happens there. But that was a great community. It's obviously a world-class facility, second to none type of surgical training uh, that you get there. You, you see everything when you're there because that's where so many people come to fix their issues that no one else can fix. So you really get exposed to an amazing volume of, of different things and great experience. So how about your family back here in Utah, especially while you were off doing all this? What were their thoughts? Did they care? Were they excited? What did they oh, think? Very supportive. Very excited. Uh, yeah. You know, Siblings? Yeah. So I come from a family of seven. My wife comes from a family of six. We've got lots of <laughs> siblings. Um, at this time in my life, when I'm in my residency training program, I, I think you know most of my siblings aren't living here. I have a sister in Draper. She moved back here about 10 or 12 years ago, but they were away for a while. Uh, the rest of my siblings are out of state, oh, other so. places. Yeah, my I'm, I'm sure mom here. and dad were like, what is this kid doing becoming a doctor in Iowa? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so disappointed. You never know. Son. Sometimes we have guests whose family's like really oddly opposed to what they're doing for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever opposed to their child becoming a doctor. Yeah. yeah Hopefully not. <laughs> I mean, they, they, that would be weird. Like, if you can do it, like, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, maybe right? maybe if their specialty was, like, you know, end-of-life care, like Dr. Gavorkian. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That might turn off some people. But I don't know if that's, like, what you go into med school wanting to or do. Or one of those reefer doctors. <laughs> Maybe not so proud. <laughs> so those guys were all the D students in med school. That's why they opened up primary care. You, you know what they call all those D students in medical school? General practitioners. <laughs> they call them doctor. <laughs> That's why PAs are way better. <laughs> it, 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 not all doctors are created equal. That's for no, sure. they're not. They're not. Um, no, family was very supportive. Um, I actually had a brother at this time. I mean, my brother and I both started medical school at the same time. He was at Ohio State, and then he. Oh. Yeah, I know. There's funny side note. I've got five. There's five boys in the family. Four of us went on for um, advanced degrees, PhD, uh, an MBA, two MDs. We all went to different Big Ten schools, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so football season comes around. There's there's some fun talk to each other, fun like texts that roll around when games are played. <laughs> Last year, when the Hawkeyes uh, beat up on the Ohio State University, that's right. that that's that's still uh, fresh in his My mind. My brother-in-law's from Michigan. Okay. So we get that. <laughs> the, um, anyway, yeah. So so Rochester was great. Family's very supportive. Um, it's it's actually interesting, uh, very interesting for my wife and I. So at this point in time, my my parent, her parents have passed away. Uh, but it was kind of a 
along the path they seemed to be guiding us because I followed in his footsteps. He had done his general surgery training at the Mayo Clinic, and then he had done his plastic surgery training at Harvard. And so, so that's where I ended those up. Are, those are not easy places to easy. get in. No, a lot of work, a lot of luck and blessings and apply you, you apply for it i'm assuming yeah so no, they just, no, they just were like hey <laughs> like we heard you are awesome Doug Henstrom. you're that good we want you <laughs> the, uh, the residency is a, they're both a match process where you apply to a bunch of different programs you interview with the ones you want you rank order the programs that you'd like to go to the programs rank order their applicants that they want and then there's a universal system that matches you up with the program that has you highest and you have them highest to try to get a good match for everybody mm -hmm. and so uh, fortunately i got you know mayo clinic was my first choice that's where i wanted to go i was totally sold on that program after interviewing there i knew it would be a great fit for my family and for everything that we had going on and so extremely happy to be there and did and you get right in or was there a bit of a process and it took some time well you 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 find out on match day you, oh. you get a you get a <laughs> you get a call or you get a letter that says this is where you're going for the next five years so why the why the decision after doing all that and then going to iowa and being part of a practice again why the decision to move back to utah so my current partner now scott thompson he and i met while we were on a medical mission trip with the same group. It was when I was in fellowship in Boston and he had finished his fellowship director, my fellowship director are very good friends. And so they would do medical mission trips together. So Scott came along and I went along with my fellowship director. We met in Quito, Ecuador for the first time of all places, did a couple trips to Quito together um, and then just stayed in touch over the years. And after I finished training, like I said, went back to the University of Iowa, was really pretty content. Things were going well, liked what we were doing. He called me out of the blue and things were changing for him and his practice. He had been here for, I want to say, about eight years. And he called me up and said, hey, have you ever wanted to come back to Utah and practice? Because I could really use a partner, really busy. He has a fantastic practice that he built up too long of a wait for patients and so he's like i need a partner and things are changing at my practice so you want to come back and so we looked at that and i realized well my wife and i both realized that if we ever did want to come back and be in utah be closer to my dad who's still here my sister who's here my wife has siblings that are still here and their kids and cousins that my kids get to see once a year we realized this is the best opportunity i'd probably ever have this is a golden chance that's awesome. That's awesome. So you came back by so choice. Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't ever, when we set off on it, we, we told each other, we may never get back to Utah. That's okay with us. And uh, we were okay. We, we've loved the places that we've been. Our kids have had remarkable experiences in places and with people. And But it was time to, it was time to come back for us. How did your kids good. adapt? Uh, still adapting, <laughs> depending on the age. A, a year? Year and a, year and a half now that I've been back. My wife and I, so I came back in March of 2017 and started, and uh, my wife and kids stayed there and finished out the school year. So they came out last summer, so they've just been here a little over a year. So uh, still adapting. The younger one is oblivious to it all. No problem. She's yeah. like, so what, right, are your, what are your kids' age spans? Yeah, 19 to Almost six. Her birthday's next week. Wow. Yeah. So six That's kids quite in the there. Difference. Yeah. Pretty Nin wide. Nineteen year old hates you. 
Yeah, actually, the ni- the nineteen year old we we stayed long enough for him to finish his high school. Yeah, he graduated. Uh, he was on to doing other things anyway. Uh, the next the next one, he was actually okay with it. He wanted the change. He was fine coming back here. He's uh, he's starring now on the football team for Alta High School. We'll, we'll give the Hawks a shout out. Um, the the middle two that are in the kind of the, the middle school, late elementary school age, they you know they, those two to three kids all had great groups of friends and yeah. really were pretty set. And so it's been a little harder for them, but all in all, I think they're adapting really pretty yeah, well. They're the, pretty resilient kids. Yeah, those will be the easiest to adapt, honestly, because you you tend to change friends quite a bit. Well, and even yeah. even at that age, when you go from grade school to junior high, it's new for everybody. You're switching, yeah, right? so that's kind of a big change up for anybody anyway so yeah if you've yeah. got a change that's kind of a good time we've moved enough they've moved enough they know it takes at least a year to really kind of get your feet underneath you and so they're doing well with that so i, I want to talk a little bit about i i saw an interview where you had, i don't remember who it was with but you had talked about um body dysmorphic disorder and and that being something that you have to deal with routinely these days in your practice is that is that true yeah, absolutely. That interview you probably saw me on was the Good Things Utah segment that I did that yeah, on. I watched yeah. a bunch of bunch of stuff that you were in. Gotcha. <laughs> you watched all my film, did you? Yeah. <laughs> I, try, I try to come prepared some days. That couldn't have taken too long. <laughs> um, yeah, body dysmorphic disorder is a very real um, disorder that some people have. Fortunately, it's not a huge percentage, but it's a growing percentage, I think, of patients. Social media certainly is pushing that along. Is it people who want to look like the Kardashians? Is that the kind of stuff or not that extreme? It's more of they have individual issues? It's it's mostly an individual issue. That they're, they're never satisfied, whether it's because it's based on they want to look like somebody else or they just don't want to look like what they're at right now. Um, it's never being satisfied with their body, their appearance, their looks it's it's always got to be something else uh, they're never happy it, and it's an internal thing right it's it's right they're looking f- they're looking at the wrong thing to make them happy but that's what they see in the mirror so that's where they put their efforts and people have actually uh, coined the phrase snapchat dysmorphia because snapchat's feeding i've some heard of about this. that i've heard about that i heard it on the radio probably a week or two ago where people are actually getting plastic surgery to look like those stupid yeah the filters dog filters, filters and the cabinet, and the way it makes you look that that's like so if thing. you do some of these filters they'll make your eyes look bigger which yeah. is a beautiful trait it's a very unrealistic thing to do and there are people there that think that that's what they need to look beautiful like that and uh, unfortunately it's it's affecting more people so how do you because a lot of times this is it is a very facial thing with with uh, body dysmorphic disorder how do you deal with patients when they come in and, and you perceive that they, they probably have this disorder that they're well, dealing it's with? not just a facial thing though i no, tend to think not, for women especially it's Anything and everything, right? Yeah, but I'm asking him about the face because he doesn't do like tummy tucks, right? But probably. I mean, <laughs> just to <laughs> just to clarify, yeah, no, you're right. It it is it's something that can affect people on any aspect of their body. Um, but obviously, I deal with the patients that are that are concerned about aspects of their face. Um, the way that I deal with it, it, you can get a sense from the questions you ask a patient. So one of the main questions I'm going to ask a patient that comes into my office that wants to change something about their face is, why do you want to change this? And they've got to explain to me 
what it is they're going through. Now, most people, you know, it's aging. This isn't what I used to look like when I was 50. And it's not like they have a long history of doing a lot of other procedures leading up to this. It's, you know, this is the time that's appropriate. Um, and it's not just why, but how long have you been thinking about this? This is, this just a snap decision. Is this something that you've been contemplating for a while? You know, I've always had my dad's nose and it doesn't fit my face and I want to change it. That's a, that's a legitimate answer. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, that is more of a masculine nose maybe on a female. Um, but some of these patients, they, they have the wrong, in my opinion, not the best reasons to want to do things. Um, well, you know, I, I'm divorced now and I, and I know that if I change this, my ex will come back or I'll get that job that I've been wanting to get. Um, and those are unrealistic expectations that, that you've got to be really careful because those it's things the nose that's keeping you from getting your dream job. Yeah. <laughs> so as, yeah. A, as a plastic surgeon, how do you, how do you deal with those people? I mean, do you just out and out say no? Do you try to get them help in dealing with some underlying psychological issue? Like what, what, what do you do in that situation? I've done both. I've had patients who have had the, the more difficult thing is some patients, have this type of body dysmorphic disorder, but they also have maybe a, a true issue that could be addressed, right? Um, but they don't have the right expectations. They're not realistic with it. And I've sent patients to psychological counseling, and I've told them, you've got to find a psychiatrist. You've got to meet with them, and I'm not going to operate on you until I talk with or get a note from the physician saying, you're in a better place. That's just better for you in the long run because you need to get to that point before we can even talk about changing anything. So I've done that. I've done it when I've just, you know, some patients won't listen to that. And I've just told them, I'm sorry, I'm not the person for you. Unfortunately, I also tell them, listen, you go around and you go to enough doctor's offices, you'll find somebody that will operate on you because you're going to pay them. And that's unfortunate, but it's true. Most of these patients, I'm going to try to tell them, Listen, you're going about this the wrong way, and you don't need to change this. I remember one patient in particular, and I think I spoke about her on that GTU segment that had come in, and she had been recently divorced, but her, her ex had been comparing her incessantly. And so she got to comparing herself incessantly to social media expectations and so forth. So she came in thinking that she needed these things, and she was outlining this, and I, and I just told her, you don't need any of that. You're beautiful. Now... Sometimes in the society's norms of beauty change and fluctuate. And I said, if you look back, if your face was back in the 70s, you would be hailed as a beauty. You have a little bit more of a classical. It's maybe not what's in right now. It's not what you're going to see on social media, but that doesn't make it any less beautiful. And so you don't need anything. Don't let anybody tell you you need anything. You're too young for this. And you're, you're, you want to take it too far and don't let that other person um, influence you in such a negative way that makes you feel like you, you've got to do that to change yourself. That's, that's the wrong person to be with. So I'm glad you're not with them anymore. Good for you. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a range of how you deal with some of these, some of these patients. But you have to be prepared for it because it will pop up. 
What do you do like with the 16 year old who comes in and their mom's right there next to him? Oh yeah, we want to get the nose job or whatever. How do you deal with someone that young who wants to make those kind of changes? Yeah, well, the, the nose job is an interesting question because there's quite a few kids who have breathing difficulties. So we'll do surgeries also for breathing difficulties. But the nose in particular, I'll tell patients, we're not going to operate on your nose until you're done growing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk because I don't want to mess up the growth of the mid face. If you do something with the nose too early, you can. So we wait. And then when they come back, we have a serious discussion about how it's important to weigh the risks and the benefits. This is not something to under, undertake lightly. Things could be things could go wrong. Things could be made worse. Um, but there's young patients like that that have deformities of their nose that if you correct it, you know, they're going to be much happier. And you see that and you talk to them about the surgery and the risks. And so there's there's acceptable places for that. Um, but again, it gets back to, all right, what is their underlying motivation? Now, right. is mom pushing it? Is mom the one saying my daughter is not up to my standard? And doing things like that, and you can tell there's hesitancy from the child, and that's that's a tough situation because you've got to tell the parent no, <laughs> you know, right. telling the patient no is easy. They really don't want to be. There. They're happy for you to say that. <laughs> yeah, right. But you've got to deal with something like that, and unfortunately, a lot of that would potentially go elsewhere. Right. Yeah, that's the sad thing. If you say no, they'll just go find yeah. somebody else. But you know. I, I do what I can. I, you try to educate them. You, you don't need this now. You know, look at something else. This is why this isn't wise, so forth. And hopefully they take that advice to heart. So I want to ask you some questions uh, kind of along that same lines of, of cosmetic looks. What do you think about facial tattoos and facial cosmetics? that have, it, They've kind of popped up over the last, I don't know, five to ten years. I mean, like so. that. Tattooed on eyebrows. Like tattooed on like eyebrows that. and stuff like that. Eyeliner and lips. And microblading. Getting your eyelid tattooed. I mean, is that stuff you do? <laughs> um, I don't personally. We do have somebody in our office that does some of the microblading, the eyebrow tattooing, um, scalp. So first of all, this this type of tattooing has been around for decades, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, my wife, I told you my father-in-law was a plastic surgeon. My wife had her eyeliner tattooed. I can't imagine. A couple, hurts a couple decades yes, ago. I mean, tattoo. Your eyelid. One of the best things she said she ever did. She never has to wear eyeliner. It's always there. It's never run. It looks beautiful. And she loves it. You know, so so there's definitely a role for it. Um, we have a, a person in our office who actually does scalp micropigmentation. And so for patients who are losing hair or some of our patients who we've done hair transplant surgery on and it fills into a certain amount. Those are some of my favorite videos. You've seen those videos? They're they're so bizarre how you get the hair out. Like it is just the weirdest thing to watch. Oh, yeah, yeah, The hair hair surgery is fantastic. It's it's an an amazing. That's made strides, unbelievable strides in the last 10 to 15 years. Not like 20 years ago where there was the plug. Yeah. Like yeah. The, yeah. Like a Barbie doll's head. No, now we're trans, <laughs> we're transferring. That's right. Now we're transferring <laughs> follicular units like down to the single hair follicle. Wow. And a hair follicle may have one hair, two hair, three hairs in it, but a single hair follicle and it's a much more That's natural. That's super time consuming. It is. It takes all day. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, like it just washes it. What does it come 
from from the from them. Like We've got to take it from them. No, from, from their butt. Back the here. back of the skin. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe yours. <laughs> you got that weird patch of hair right there. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry about it. It's from my a back. long story. Um, <laughs> I've got a splotchy back now, but the, my hair looks great. The um, <laughs> the hair on the back of the head is genetically different than the hair on the top of the head, and that's why most male and even female pattern baldness. You lose it on top of the head, okay? Some people may end up deciding to shave the rest of it. Yeah, it's a much better look. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a <laughs> good look. Unless I wore a yarmulke, I mean, that would be a look. So you take the hair from the back of the head because those hair follicles will transfer back up to the top of the scalp and survive hmm. and live. So we take it from the back of the scalp. We can do it in a couple of ways. We can take a strip of skin, all with hair, and then we close that. And then we take that strip of skin and we have technicians that work for us that slice and dice literally this this skin into single hair units. And then we make little holes in the head, all over the head. We may transfer. And we put them on like a little, a little tray and you can yeah. see every single hair. <laughs> yeah. And we'll transfer, you know, 2,000 hair follicles. It's awesome. It sounds amazing, but it kind of gives me the creeps. <laughs> <laughs> but scalp mi micropigmentation is something that's a, it's a useful adjunct to that procedure to help fill in the color of the scalp so it doesn't look as bald for some patients. So some of that some of that has a real use. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot more of that going on and and uh, you know, you you got you want it done right, that's for sure. So what is the most popular at least for you in, in kind of your experience in in the state of Utah, what do you think is the most popular facial plastics procedure, the face, facial cosmetic procedure. The, the facial cosmetic procedures that Dr. Thompson and I do the most are facelifts, mm. rhinoplasties, and otoplasties. Mm. So those are ear pinning procedures yeah. for those oh, yeah, ears that those. are far out. Do you see some of those? Yeah. When we do a, we stuff. do a ton of those. Do you, do you tell kids they have monkey ears? <laughs> I don't tell them that. <laughs> Unfortunately, some of them have and been told that. And you wonder where that. the bad self-esteem comes when, from. <laughs> when kids are little, that. it's cute. But when you're older and your ears stick out, like, he, yeah. he has, like, these little teeny, like, mini baby ears. Like, his ears are, like, this big. <laughs> My ears are, like, twice as big as his. Oh, nice. I'm like, dude... You make me have an ear complex because my ears are like <laughs> so much bigger than yours, but his ears are only like this uh, big. Do you deal, speaking of ears, do you, do you deal with, or can you fix when people gauge their ears and those Ew. plugs just eventually, because your I watched ear, Dr. Pimple Popper fix one the other day. But yeah, she was <laughs> fixing the, probably, probably the keloids or whatever they're called. No, she did, she did, she repaired a gauge. A gauge. Yeah. Yeah, so a couple things about gauges. If they're not, if they haven't been stretched out too much or for too long, any patient that comes in and asks me to repair that, I'll say, you got to take the gauges out and we're going to see what happens to the ear over the next six months because they will tighten back up to a certain amount. And that means I'll have to do less to repair it. I'll have to remove less tissue. But sometimes they've, they've just stretched too much too long and you can repair them and uh, you've got to excise some of that excess tissue and rearrange it to try to get them back a regular lobule. It's like how, ear Tetris. How, of, yeah. how often does that come in? Is that something that, that you see frequently? Occasionally. Most people who gauge keep it. Well, I, they, they, I mean, we see it, but they not. have to. I mean, when you gauge your ears, they don't you just have to keep, you have going, to keep up? going up yeah. and up and up. They you don't it. have to. I mean, you can get to a certain point and just keep it at that size. Oh, it but, doesn't have but to. A lot of people will continue going up. That's just crazy. As a fad, I did not understand. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's so weird. So bad. 
They smell horrible when they get big. <laughs> Very interesting. I haven't encountered that. Smell terrible. Maybe just ears. the people no, that you were around. No, no. <laughs> they just oh, it stinks. Just infected or I don't know. I've never, I've never had one. Earrings are gross. Stink. Like if you like, I leave my top hole, and I have to make sure I take them out periodically because it gets gross. People don't think about all the dead skin and stuff that collects around your earrings. That's disgusting. Mm. That's disgusting. It's just a so what about your tongues? Skin. Do you do anything with tongues? Like people who get them pierced or whatever? Or no, that's no. Don't tongues just heal? Tongues heal really well. Yeah. Yeah, I so don't know. Piercing your tongue. Just right right up there with Kids that bite right through their tongues. Yeah, and then you got to repair it. You got to sew it back together. So are you... My guess is, just based on the type of specialty you are, you're not doing a whole bunch of, of young kid stuff, pediatric type stuff, are you? Um, otoplasties. We do a lot of, um, we do a lot of, but you're not, you're not doing a lot of like tubes and stuff like no, that. No, we're not. So we basically aren't doing much of what you would consider ENT stuff. ENT. Does that mean anymore. that you don't get to use that part of your education? No, I use it because people ask me questions about it all the time or they'll have a history of it and it'll, it'll play into their medical, um, well, record and so forth. But caving in. Yeah, but I don't, but I don't. Do tubes anymore and tonsils and things cleft like lips? I, we don't do any of the cleft oh, lips palate anymore. Pediatric. We we both have done them, but we don't do enough of them to really say come see us to do that. Gotcha. Now the thing that we can do is microtia. So that's the medical mission trip that Scott Thompson and I first met on was with a group that does microtia. So it's talking about ears. These are kids that are born without an ear, an external ear. It's just maybe a nubbin of cartilage and skin. And so you can reconstruct those ears uh, utilizing the patient's own rib cartilage. So cool. You've got to harvest a bunch of cartilage from the ribs, shave it, cut it, shape it into a ear, put it under the skin. And it's multiple stages of surgery for that. Um, but that's something that uh, actually Scott is amazing at. Hmm. We don't do enough of it here because he is literally amazing at it. Do you do you think with the advent of, of 3D printing and some of the stuff that's coming along from a technological standpoint? Printing ear? Yeah, you yeah. can. They're doing it. In, I think it's in Columbia. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was actually some stuff I was looking at and potentially working on when I was at Iowa in a more of an academic center and had the facilities and the people around to do some of that stuff. Um, there are, if they can make guns, <clears throat> they can make ears. Well, let's see. What's more useful, your ear or a gun? Yeah. Well, one's, one's tissue that can be accepted by your body. The other is a gun. That doesn't, <laughs> it's not accepted by your body very it, well. There's, there's been some good breakthroughs. I, I'm pretty sure it's the group at Columbia that's probably furthest on that. But when you're, when you're printing a biologic, it's different than just printing a polymer. Yeah. Right. Right. You've got to print a biologic that can withstand forces that the body's going to put on it after you put it in the body. And it's got to be able to take a blood supply and so there's there's a lot of different factors that that will be the next frontier in microtia though. But that has, to, that has to be a possibility if you have I mean chin implants, anything yeah. like that, all those are well you're seeing evolve from something. And you're seeing some of that type of technology in in the way like you know one of the things we're really big on here is like the heart transplant stuff, and we're starting to see some of that stuff come out of Intermountain in particular. Well, they had the ears that they put on the rats. Have you seen those? You know what I'm talking about? They grow a human ear on a uh, rat. Yep. Yeah, so you want to know an interesting story about yes, that? Yes, I do. So <laughs> his left ear, actually. That was my ear. No, <laughs> Let me show you the rat that's on my head. 
Um, he's got, his hair. Well, the thing is, he's got really weird ear hair now. <laughs> <laughs> the um, so what you're talking about is it was a story that was published. It was the it was the cover story? I believe it was a Nature magazine back in the 1990s. Because I'm old like that, I remember it. Though. You just remember the 90s. That picture <laughs> and that story has literally been worth millions and millions of dollars to the primary researcher who published that. His name is Jay Vacanti. He ran a lab that I worked part-time at when I was in Boston. He has one of the biggest tissue engineering labs in the country. And so I was helping work on some of this tissue engineering, um, just doing experiments and stuff on other rats. I never saw that one. That was way before my time. But that picture is worth a million words. That picture literally has funded one of the biggest labs at the Mass General Complex for cool. Years and years and years. I remember it. And it wasn't just that. I mean, he's built on that. He's done amazingly good things. And he's an amazingly bright person. Did they get uh, that to work, by the way? So they're getting there. They're still working on things. There's just rejection issues that you have to work through. So there's actually a a similar ear implant, like a chin implant, that's a synthetic material. And there are some physicians in the country that prefer to use that to reconstruct their ears as opposed to the rib. And it's an option. It's not my favorite thing because when they get complications and they get exposed, they have problems. Mm. And it's, it's an issue. If you can get cartilage in there and it develops a blood supply, it'll live. It'll be safe. It, you know, it, and it's your own body. It's your own body. It's, it's nice that way. So you, you talk about rejection. Are, are those conversations that you have with your patients that come in, uh, the complications? Because I think we all have glamorized plastic surgery in some sense through magazines and television and the TV shows that are on, but there, there's a real consequence to some of these. Maybe a body doesn't take the procedure or, well, I mean, you can have massively adverse reactions to Botox, for example, right? Haven't seen that. Not massively. That's so there's the conversation with the patients is that there's a risk in anything. Right. Um, And so you do need to outline at least the major risks that you have with patients. And that's going to vary from office procedures that are injections to minor surgeries to major surgeries. And with anything, there's there are risks. There are complications in my field. What I do is just as much, if not more, an art than it is a science. And so there are definitely scientific factors and principles that kind of guide me along the surgical pathway. But if I want to try to make this look the best for that patient, there's a big artistic side. And that's one of the things that really enthralled me about this field. Actually, we've talked about the nose, we've talked about the ears. Those are the two of the most complex 3D structures in our body. And so to be able to reconstruct uh, those organs those parts of our body it takes a lot of art- artistry yeah because if i did it it would just look like a big old lump of clay well, I mean, it could, <laughs> you could turn out like michael jackson after 50 surgeries and your nose falls off and a lot of people would yeah if you, if you go through that much that's you know all the time patients come to the office and say i don't want the overdone look i don't want to look like and they always bring up kenny rogers or <laughs> joan rivers yeah. um, <laughs> and it's often because they've had too much done yeah. How? And most people don't do that. That's that's we, well, we see and there's the bad was probably a, cho- a choice. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what no, that's what they chose. But chose. unfortunately, we see a lot of the the negative examples out there, and you would be amazed at all the good examples out there that you just don't know about. How much? How much botched stuff have you fixed from other providers? A lot. Oh, that's really sad. A lot. Well, you guys did a whole a whole segment on it. Doctor Thompson did 
uh, with KSL a couple months ago. What are some yeah. of the crazy things that you've seen? Oh. <laughs> well, uh, filler injections happen across the country. Hundreds of thousands of filler injections. Really a relatively safe procedure. If done well, if understood by the person doing it, um, and and one of my general tenets of what I do is that a physician shouldn't be doing a procedure if they don't know how to handle or manage the complications from it. Now, I might have a patient under anesthesia who has a heart attack. I, I'm not going to be the person managing that, but I know how to get the right person and get them involved, right? Well, I thought you have an anesthesiologist. Yeah, right. And then we'll get the cardiologist and so forth. But if it's a procedure I'm doing and if it's a complication that has to do with that procedure, I should know how to handle that and manage that. And unfortunately, there's so many people out there with injectables that are doing it that aren't trained in the face. They're not trained with the facial musculature, the facial anatomy. So uh, I've had a couple times patients. So when you're doing injectable fillers, the big complication you've got to avoid is getting it into a blood vessel. So if you get an intravascular injection that goes into an artery or vein, it's going to clot off the blood flow and wherever that blood flow is going is going to stop getting the blood flow and it can lead to skin necrosis, um, other bad issues. So I had a couple patients who had been injected elsewhere a couple different times. Um, the, the place that they had gone was as far in the human body as you could get as far as their training, but they opened up a spa and decided to start injecting people. They had that complication. They didn't recognize it. They didn't treat it. It went on for a while. She finally came to us. It was a real bad problem. This, this, wow. this girl, this one girl in particular head wrecked over it. it took years to lots of my, procedures and things to do to try to help overcome that. So, um, those are some of the botched things that you can see. Fortunately, it's not very common, but we do a lot of revision rhinoplasty on patients who've had rhinoplasty and things haven't, haven't healed well um, or things have gone wrong. Um, I I've think having sinus surgery, rhinoplasties are the only surgeries I can't want to go through. <laughs> Is that right? Because you've had sinus surgery. I had my maxillaries and my ethmoids expanded. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. I just had my deviated septum fixed. Nice. At the same time as my tonsils and my adenoids were removed. That's now try breathing. That's a miserable recovery. My auntie's like, I don't do that anymore. He's like, I thought it would be great because it saves like surge, like cost in the surgery room because you're all together. But if your nose is packed and your throat, and is, your throat is raw. You have to mouth breathe and your throat is raw and you're an adult. It's even worse. And I was. I was an adult. I, uh, it was after my second my second daughter and I went... Uh, uh, and he, go, he, he actually apologized to me when I went back to him for my vocal cord dysfunction. Um, I went back to him and I was like, hey, Dr. Palmer, do you do that anymore? And he's like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. That's that's ridiculous. I don't know why I did that. And I'm like, yeah, well, thanks for doing it to me. A patient has to be very, very motivated. I was very, very to motivated. To do that because it is the worst two weeks I had of your life. like I had strep throat all the time yeah. I lost my voice all the time yeah. I was miserable all the time and my nose I mean I couldn't breathe out a half of my nose all the time so yeah it, it you're was, happy now I, you I come am. out on the end and it's, it, if did. it does and, well it's great and when it was done it was all done yeah. and he had a point like it was done yeah but 
taking care of two little kids like oh that. Luckily, one of my daughters had had her tonsils out and they gave her those numbing popsicle things. Yeah. But she was a kid and she didn't care and she didn't need them. So I used her <laughs> because I could just set it like in my mouth and just let the numbing just like drizzle down yeah. <laughs> my throat so I could breathe for you know an hour without pain. But when I was done, it was great. And I loved Dr. Palmer and he's the one that figured out all this other stuff going on with me and he took care of both my kids. So I think it's awesome. definitely an important profession because you have so much going on in your head mm-hmm. that, I mean, your eyes, your, your breathing, your Well, I had hearing, to sign a thing like, that said... We are going to be operating right next to your brain and your eye. Yeah. Just so you and know. For sinus surgery, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Those are real risks there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I have a really, often, I have an anomaly. I have a little bone that's just back behind my eye. My ENT said he's only ever seen it one other time. Oh, wow. Isn't that Lucky rad? Lucky you. I know. He's like, I wasn't going to touch so, it. So you're a freak is what you're saying. Basically. <laughs> why? I, back to the botch thing. Why do you think people are so so desperate that they turn to things like silicone and cement and these things Uh, that are just ruining their structure. Is there even an answer? Yeah, not a great one because I I have a hard time understanding it myself. I mean, I've seen some of those episodes of the the botched show and that's what happens. I love that show, by the way. It's amazing (laughs) what happened. That just blows me away sometimes. Um, you know, I, th- I think people are looking for a fix to a problem and somebody sells them on something and they don't look to the qualifications, maybe to the, p- to the person, the provider. Um, we always encourage patients to check that out. I have no problems with patients coming in and telling me that they're talking to me and other physicians. I say that's Going great. Going down to Brazil. Yeah, but I, you know, <laughs> that happens and that mm-hmm. people will tell me that they're thinking about doing that. And I say, you know, unfortunately, you're going to get what you pay for. Unfortunately, now there's, there's good stuff that's done in other places, but you really got to be careful. Um, I know good surgeons internationally and they do a great job and I see them at meetings and I have a lot of respect for them, but you've got to search them out and find them. They're um, not, they're not going to be a $500. No. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. So there's some crazy stuff that people do. We always encourage patients to check out on the qualifications and to understand it. And from our standpoint, you know, we're plastic and reconstructive surgeons. And that reconstructive side shouldn't be overlooked because there's a lot of patients, there's a lot of providers and other people out there who call themselves cosmetic surgeons and they do cosmetic work. Okay. We really believe that there's a huge value in our cosmetic work we do from our reconstructive background because we understand how to really reconstruct things in such a way. It works (laughs) and it's functional and um, it just gives us a different look at it's not just learning to be cookie cutter cosmetic do this it's really understanding um, how you can do things in the best way possible for the patient so there's a real value in our reconstructive background in helping with that so for instance we do um, rhinoplasties and everybody thinks about cosmetic rhinoplasties which we do a lot of the other thing we do is we do a lot of Mohs reconstruction. So after a patient gets a cancer excised from their face, mm-hmm. right, they've got a hole in their face that you've got to fill. Well, that's a whole different challenge. That's a whole different 3D anatomy. Um, I had a patient not too long ago who came and saw me from a dermatologist who got done taking a skin cancer off his nose. He was missing half his nose. So he has a hemirhinectomy de- mm-hmm. defect. Um I know how to reconstruct that. You've got to do it in multiple layers. This is how we're going to do it. This is how it's going to heal and it's going to look its best. That helps me do better rhinoplasties. 
because I understand all the anatomy a lot better. That's a real value to me. So we enjoy continuing to do those kind of procedures. Um, You really get to help people when they're most down. Obviously, they're dealing with a cancer um, and a big defect in their face that's new. And so we try to get that fixed up the best way possible. And that's going to help us. That'll help us. You know, if it's a cheek defect, those types of things help us with our facelifts. And understanding that anatomy better and how things are going to lift and look and lines to hide, incisions to make, not to make, things like that. So the, the, there's a real value for reconstructive surgeons that helps them in their cosmetic surgery. So if people want to get a hold of you, Dr. Henstrom, how do they do that? Dr. Doug. Dr. Doug. There we Touchdown. go. Dr. Touchdown. Oh, man. I'm never going to live that <laughs> down. Hashtag Dr. Touchdown. Um, they can go to utahfacialplastics.com. That's our website. It's a great website. They can follow us on Instagram, which is one of the funner Instagram accounts to follow. It is. Yeah. And you guys are always doing uh, classes, seminars, learning. Yeah. For the community. Yeah. We'll, we'll do kind of outreach lectures um, on a, usually quarterly to half quarter or semi-annual basis. Um, we'll be looking to do more of those in the upcoming year. Um, phone number to the office is 801-776-2220. But you can go through the website. All the information is there. There's lots of before and afters that you can look at and get a feel for what we do and how we do it. Instagram has tons. Yeah, Instagram Instagram. We have a marketing person who's our office manager, Jenny, and she is phenomenal with that stuff. And I mean, our Instagram account has just blown up. It's I don't know what's really good for an Instagram account, but for one like ours, it's over twenty thousand something followers, and it's pretty, pretty fun to do. And we'll put but you guys, a, a I lot think of the, out the there. good thing about it is it's very transparent, and yeah. um, you don't get that from. I, I you're seeing it more now, which perhaps you guys are trendsetters in that, but you don't really get that a lot from whether it's cost or the you know the recovery the before and the after and i think that that's why yours is so successful yeah and actually i do believe we are trendsetters because i've seen jenny do stuff and then she'll show me how other people are starting to do it as well so that's cool i believe it so yeah we have one more trendsetting question to ask you (laughs) (laughs) so this is a question we ask all of our guests so you're you're a utah native and you've come back to live here um by by choice clearly Mm -hmm. um What's one thing that you would tell someone visiting the state of Utah that they had to do before they left? I love this question, by the way. I think it's great. So I gave. I, I knew this was coming. <laughs> Did you listen to another episode? I've, you got a heads yeah, up. No, I, I, I've listened to some, okay. and I've seen that. Um, so I've I've come somewhat prepared. So <laughs> I alluded to this earlier with with my background, or whatever. First of all, there are so many amazing things to do in Utah, and that is one of the draws that we had coming back here. It's just it's second to none. We missed the mountains wherever we were. We always longed for our mountains. In fact, whenever we came back, our kids would always see the mountains and say, "Hey, there's our mountains." Cute little thing from growing up in Iowa. And you come here; these are mountains. Yes, being out there where it's flat and there's hills that people call mountains, and you come here and it's—they're mounds. It's weird when they're when they're for the first time when they're another mile up from where you're standing, (laughs) which is almost a mile. Exactly. (laughs) Big difference, but so there's lots of obviously things out there to do. But I'm gonna, so I'm biased. And I come from a BYU football background, but I also enjoy, I really enjoy going to big sporting events. 
So, and this probably came from playing. And when I was playing, we played at some phenomenal stadiums, Washington. I played at Alabama, um, went to some really cool places. Um, I've continued that. I've enjoyed taking kids on the road to games. Uh, one of the funner experiences was coming back to the Utah Olympics when I was in med school. I mean, doing those sporting events is just really, really fun for me. And my, my oldest boy, when he turned 18, I realized he was turning 18 right about the same time as the last Ryder Cup golf tournament, which was up in Hazeltine, Minnesota, which was only about a five-hour drive. We had a place to stay. So I took my 18-year-old up there, and we went to Friday and Saturday of the Ryder Cup, and it was phenomenal. Now, that's not going to happen in Utah. I understand that. <laughs> my, my, our, you know, we could all wish. But uh, my point is, I think one of the best things to do, if you haven't done it, is to go to a football game at BYU Stadium. It consistently is ranked in every poll as one of the top five football stadiums in the country as far as the setting and the atmosphere and the experience. Just don't go expecting a beer, folks. No, no, <laughs> don't, don't go there. And, and, but you can get caffeine now. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> they're, they're getting closer. So things. I don't changed. drink either, so I'm they, good. They will, good. They will never have beer at that stadium. No, nope, <laughs> nope, they won't. No, nope. caffeine's as far as I think they'll go. Um, but, it, you know, I've been to plenty of football stadiums, and the setting is truly remarkable, especially in an evening game. You, if you listen and read comments from opposing teams, fans, when they come through, they have a great experience and they all are very amazed at the setting and, and the experience and the stadium, et cetera, et cetera. It really is a phenomenal place. Now, we're spoiled because it's here and everybody kind of, you know, maybe they've done it. Maybe it's too close type of thing. But I've been to a lot of stadiums around the country and it's still my favorite place to go watch. Now, I'm a fan, too. Uh, I'm a former player, but that's. Definitely should be on the list for anybody coming through if you can get a, 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 a game there. There's I, definitely something to be said about sitting in that stadium at the foot of that mountain. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I can tell you, as a strong opponent of BYU, I've been to a couple of games in that stadium, and they're just the atmosphere is really quite amazing. Yeah. Even, even if you can't stand BYU. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even uh, well, if you're a U, University of Utah. Yeah. Student. Student. Grad. <laughs> hey, that's okay. You know what? I, I loved games up there. I'm undefeated up there. So I have nothing <laughs> against that stadium. I, I, I never lost in college and I never lost in high school playing on that field. That's so I love that field. Rice Eccles Stadium is kind of a home away from home as that's far fantastic. as I'm concerned. BYU could use some of your magic stuff. Well, yeah, they could up there for sure. <laughs> They'll get there. Had, I have no doubt. A few years. I have no doubt. They'll get there. What What would you think if uh, this is totally off subject? But uh, what would you think if BYU ever got accepted into a conference like the Big Ten? Yeah, it would be fabulous for them. It, it, it's remarkable that that it hasn't happened. That people haven't brought them in yet. But uh, hopefully that will happen. It needs to happen at some point. It'll be fabulous when it does. I think it'd be fabulous for the whole inner mountain area to have a big 12 as well as a pac 12 team. That would be fantastic. Um, here's to hoping. Thanks so much again to our, our guest, uh, Dr. Football, Dr. Touchdown. Dr. Touchdown. Um, <laughs> Dr. Hinstrom, uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, really, really enjoyed it myself. But that's also because I kind of start to nerd out a little bit with surgeons because I've had so much experience in life with them. Um, but he's really down to earth and he'll answer any of your questions, any concerns. Yeah. Well, any good surgeon will. Uh, and it was good to hear him talk about 
saying no to patients. That's not something every surgeon does. Um, and, and I didn't really, I kind of alluded to this. I've asked surgeons in the past because I've I worked with them for so long because everyone's like, oh, my doctor was the top of his class. <laughs> well, what, what about the doctors that weren't? Like, how do people determine specialty? And um, the answer I got pretty routinely was, um, if you're not a great student in med school, um, you, you know, you still pass, you still get a license, but generally those tend to be primary care doctors. So they do a lot of family medicine. He answered your medicine. question. Except they're yeah. still called doctors. <laughs> yeah. Doctors that get a D in school are still doctors. Um, but yeah, typically they're not surgeons. Uh, and that's because to get accepted into the kind of programs that he got accepted to in in Harvard and in, in Boston, the Mayo, Clinic, the Mayo yeah. Clinic, you have to be exceptional in what you do. You have to have really it good It sounds residency. like it's just always been in his blood, though. Like... He knew what he wanted and that I yeah, think he got that, exposure real early. Yeah. But I'm saying, you know, in general, the the harder the specialty. So facial plastics is not an easy specialty to get board certified in. And, and well, to, listening to him talk at the end about uh, like most like after skin cancer and reconstruction is just. Yeah. So that's mind blowing. The, the route he's gone to get there is, is pretty amazing. Um, and, and it does speak to his success from an academic standpoint. Um, but anyway, thanks to him. That was a, that yep, was a fun yeah. conversation. Uh, it's nice to know we have some cutting edge stuff like that going on in the state, uh, especially with the, the facial paralysis stuff. That's really, it's really, really cool. Because cool. Bell's palsy is pretty fucked up disease uh, and gets people and then goes away and then they're left with a messed up face. Um, so anyway, if you want, uh, if you liked what you heard, please share the episode. Um, if you have feedback, please provide it to us. You can do that on our Facebook page. Um, you can go visit our website, thenewutah.com. Uh, we talked about it with, with him uh, a little bit afterwards. All the one things that, that our guests present Jess actually gets around to putting up posts about them. Um, and so it's a great place to find stuff to do. So we were talking off the air with, with him about things that he could do because he's new. We're back in Utah and he wants to, to find stuff to do. So we talked and about... And he's got six kids. He's got to entertain folks. Yeah. So we talked about like going to Gilgal Gardens and the Pyramid. And those things are all on our website. Jess does a really good job uh, with those things. Um you can also uh, follow us on Twitter at TNU Podcast. If you have something coming up, let us know. Send us a message on Facebook. Uh, we'll, we'll be happy to share your stuff. Um, you know, send us something on Twitter. We'll be happy to share that. And please, if you like what you hear, share our stuff and leave us a review uh, on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever fine podcast service that you're getting this from. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs>